He's like, what if I can guarantee you'll be sold out for February? And I was like, I mean, okay. now I mean, we can start having, now we can have a conversation. Threaten me with a good time. <laughs> and he basically was like, look, uh, if you stay for February, he's like, do it. And I was like, well, I'll think about it. He's like, don't think about it. Do it. Just fucking do it. He's like, if you do it, if you say you'll do it, I'll post about it. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Whatever, fuck it. Let's go. Like, I just, I let's, let's fucking do it. He's like, what, when are you going to open it? Open it now. I was like, I can't, I'm cooking right now. Like, I can't open the rest. He's like, tonight. And I was like, all right, I'll be done by midnight. At midnight, I'll open it. He's like, promise? I'm like, yeah. So at midnight, I open up reservations for February. Nobody knows this. At like 12.05, he's booked himself three, three more reservations for February. Cool. And then he posted on his Instagram. It's a Saturday night. And within about four minutes, February sold out. Four, like four actual four minutes? Four minutes. So like, like actual minutes. Not like we're talking about like, oh, it was like four minutes. Like it was actual minutes? Yes. Like like less than five minutes. <laughs> so we're between four and five. All right, between, got it. Yeah. Between maybe six. No, but between right. four and five minutes. Second night in a row, we go fucking party. And I was very grateful that we had – I got to actually feel successful the night before. So I could never – I almost feel like the universe did that on purpose so I could be sold out with 100 people on the wait list before he came in right. and blew the fucking world apart because I feel like had that not happened for the rest of my life, I would be like, did I earn it or did was it given to me? Oh, and having looking back at, and knowing that like the night before we celebrated for earning it isn't incredible. But anyway, by the, I wake up the next morning at like you know 11 a.m. and there's 20,000 people on the wait list. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to insert myself here because I want to get this out of the way. Uh, welcome to Pancom Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez. I'm joined as usual by eighth grade basketball MVP <laughs> and now leader of the Michelin starred Ariet and Bibbed uh, Chug's Diner. Yeah. We are joined by guest Philip Franklin Lee, who Michael Beltran will introduce momentarily. However, just in the interest of not having to shoehorn this in somewhere else in the I'm so interested. I don't even know what's happening here. I'm so interested. He, he came in jacked up, ready for whatever the <laughs> fuck he's about to do. Uh-oh. And I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned and I'm very worried. Yeah, you should be. No, you shouldn't be. So um, after the, the Michelin uh, ceremony thing, I was on YouTube looking for like, oh, where can I see all of this without having it, without needing for it to be on my phone through Geo or Brenda's thing. I thought maybe the Michelin people had put up a video. They had not. Um, but I did find a video by something called Tasty Chomps TV, <laughs> nice. uh, who apparently was in the audience. Okay. And uh, this is audio where the applause had been muffled from Geo of Chat Chow and Brenda of the Wet Palettes uh, Instagram feeds. Okay. This is as Michael is uh, walking up to accept his <laughs> Michelin star. Okay. Okay, Michael Beltran with the cornrows. Okay. All right. I love this. I love it. Tell me who got your hair. I need to know. That's it. That's all I got for you. <laughs> okay, Michael Beltran with the cornrows. Yeah, I mean, they looked good. Who was this? This was the lady on the stage? That was the lady on the stage. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't hear anything she was saying. Yeah, I mean, I didn't... Well, so before we even jump into how great you are, let's talk about that, <laughs> which was I was in the way back with Philip 
right? Which uh, Philip thankfully took a video of the whole thing, which I will never release to the public. But um, <laughs> I released it. You can go on my Instagram. No, I think you did not. <laughs> and um, so, like when we were in the back, I didn't even hear them call Ariette's name. All I saw was Andrew go nuts. You were behind me. Val Chang, people was going, and then I looked up at the screen, and then our name was there. And I'm like, fuck. They just called our name. Well, the problem is, and I love him, but you can't understand anything that Gwendol says. No, you, you, <laughs> but you can't. But also, like, apparently, and I didn't get this memo, we were supposed to sit in the front. Anyone who was invited was supposed to sit in the front where the chairs were, and I definitely didn't do that. No. So I definitely didn't hear any of that. I'm, I'm actually shocked that I made it to the middle of the room because previously I was in the back Bar, the farthest bar by the front door. No, I know. We were trying to, like, get you Corral closer. me in, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember. All right. Now that that's done, Philip Franklin Lee, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I will say I met Philip. I think it's been a total of two and a half weeks. Three weeks, maybe? We met in Austin, right? That yeah. was, uh, yeah, it couldn't have been even a month. Right. We became fast friends. We spent a lot of time in the last three weeks uh, very quickly. And I was fortunate enough to go to Austin and dine at one of your establishments and have a great time. And yeah, so thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So since you, you came in and you asked what the show is like, basically, it's a little bit of mayhem and that's cool. Um, but we get, you know, we want people to get to know who you are and what you do. And then we go into talking shit after that. Cool. So take it from there. Uh, what, who, I, who I am and what I do? Well, how you got started <laughs> and how you ended up in uh, going from L.A. to Austin to now Miami. Sure. Uh, we got like three hours for this story, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, so I, uh, I started as a dishwasher when I was 18. I was 13 when I decided I wanted to be a sushi chef when I grew up. Uh, I worked my way up. Um, what what inspired you at 13 to say that's what you wanted to do? Well, it was between that and being a rock star. Um, I like that. I'm a drummer, and I was playing in bands at the time, but I was also like – I was like a little skate punk who like also, you know, wanted a bread machine so I could bake bread. So like, you know – Interesting. I, I was the kind of kid who would like go get in fights at school, um, but also would like want to go home and bake bread and cook and, and stuff like that. And so um, – yeah, when I was a kid, I just got super, super into sushi, and I was super into food. And um, so, yeah, uh, at 13, I started buying sushi books. Where, where was this again? In uh, the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. So I lived, like, across the street from a, from an Asian market, and you could go in and you can get, like, saku blocks of tuna and yellowtail. And cool. so I would go in and I would, like, you know, they would have warm rice. You could buy the rice. I'd buy the saku blocks. I'd buy the little tube of, you know, wasabi at, like, 13 years old. I would take it home and then I would make my own nigiri and I had little books on how to like, you know, make the rolls and how to make nigiri and the whole deal, you know, mix my, mix my wasabi paste into the soy sauce. That's dope. (laughs) At 13. Yeah. Um, I I loved it. And so then, um, you know, fast forward, I uh, dropped out of high school when I was, I want to say 15 and a half. Um, and, uh, went and lived on the road playing music. Uh, and then, uh, started cooking on and off tour. I would just, you know, I didn't want to work at Starbucks or Jamba Juice, you know, so I got a job as a dishwasher um, at a catering company.
thanks to our sponsor, Aganorsa Leaf Cigars. Aganorsa Leaf is renowned throughout the world for its signature flavor that possesses all the great attributes of Nicaraguan terroir, along with classic Cuban aroma and flavor. Aganorsa Leaf is pleased to announce a brand new edition of Guardian of the Farm, Cerberus, named after the mythical three-headed hound that stood watch at the gates of Hades. This exciting new Nicaraguan puro uses 100% Aganorsa leaf tobacco and is wrapped in Aganorsa's new Corojo 2012 cover leaf, which adds a level of complexity to the blend, adding light spice and a rich, smooth body to the blend. When you smoke one of our world-class blends, you will experience the difference between ordinary tobacco and Aganorsa leaf. That's why we say our leaf is our strength. Learn more about Aganorsa Leaf and use their store locator and find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at www.aganorsaleaf.com. The two of us smoke Aganorsa Leaf cigars often. We also offer them to a lot of our guests, like, for example, Dave Arvello, who every time I post a picture of a, a Cerberus mentions to me in my DMs or in a text how cool the band is, which it actually is a pretty slick-looking band. Um, but also... I just want to note a little personal anecdote here so it's not all totally straight up red. I can say that uh, Michael Beltran will absolutely not only vouch for the quality of Aganorsa cigars, yeah. but you met a uh, Miami legend and handed him an Aganorsa cigar. I did meet uh, uh, a Miami legend. I was smoking nearby Alonzo Morning, and we had a conversation about cigars, and he handed me one of his, and I went inside. I bought this exact same cigar, and I handed Alonzo Morning this Aganorsa cigar, and I said, try this, thank me later. I mean, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Aganorsaleaf.com Thanks to our sponsor, The Barrel. This is a barrel-style cooker you've heard a good amount about on uh, the podcast. I was able to use it a ton in my yard and loved it. It is a unique design, a conversation piece, and most importantly, at least to me, an easy-to-use cooker with loads of capacity for ribs, chicharrón, chicken, cheese, fish, burgers, and that is just a list of the stuff that I was cooking all at once in a cooker not much wider than I am, although I'm pretty wide these days. Mike, not long ago, we took some time during a podcast to cook with the barrel in the garden behind Ariet, so tell listeners about uh, all of that while I roll some footage of the cook for the video people. Very intrigued by the design and how like the actual chicken was going to come out. I... Would have loved to actually cook more than one thing in there, but the chicken came out delicious. It was very quick, too. And we only didn't cook more because it was just the two of us at that point. Right. So. Just the t- Anyways, I think about it, too, like the home cook that's going to cook this, and maybe they have four people at a table. Maybe they have six. Like, you could cook a good amount of things because we also cooked some veg on there on the top grill, and then we cooked the chicken underneath it. You know, the vegetables were delicious, and they cooked incredibly fast, uh, and the chicken itself was delicious. We used a whole green circle bird. Um, trust tied and just hung that thing and it was really really good times get all of the information that you need and of course buy your own barrel at barrel the bbq.com barrel the bbq.com and use promo code pangong10 that's p-a-n-c-o-n one zero for one hundred dollars off a hundred dollars of your order when you buy the barrel a hundred dollars a hundred dollars you know I saw a barrel the kids, I- the kids call it a, a c-note I <laughs> I saw the barrel at a place the other day. Oh, yeah. That's right. You sent me a picture. Yeah. And I was telling everyone around it that was looking at it. I said, don't buy it here. Don't buy, you, it. Don't you buy it online. Don't be a dummy. And hit Pancon 10 and you're going to save yourself 100 bucks. Don't. I said, what? I said, yeah. 
do it. And they were like, be a sucker. And then the kid just run, ran out. Oh, man. He just ran straight out of the store. Peeled and, out in his car. Yeah. Straight to, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was on it. Barrel the BBQ.com promo code Pankong 10 for $100 off. C note. Introducing the newest line from Jura State Cigars. 20 Acre Farm is a complex, refined, and medium body cigar with a super oaky and cedary notes accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. Built at La Gran Fabrica, Drew Estate in Nicaragua using a velvety, and I mean velvety, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade grown wrapper. Under that wrapper is a sun-grown Habano binder and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa in perfect balance with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. Florida sun-grown is also the name of the farm where that tobacco is lovingly grown and harvested by Jeff Borshoix, who's the guy you see in this video playing behind us, uh, on his pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. I have actually been to that farm, along with plenty of other cigar tobacco farms in Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic, and what Jeff, who, by the way, is a very nice guy. There's actually a cigar box signed by Jeff hanging on my wall. Uh, what Jeff is doing there is super legit. Uh, so it's always cool to see products like his, which is the only premium cigar tobacco grown in Florida um, in products from a company like Drew Estate. Plus, 20 Acre Farm being a Drew Estate product means it's the creation of Master Blender and Pancom podcast guest, Willie Herrera. Support our guests and sponsors. Get it online. Ask your local cigar shop about 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate. Learn more about Drew Estate and use their store locator to find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at DrewEstate.com. That's right. I'm probably going to smoke one of those right now. I, what are we waiting for? Um, actually, my, my godmother owned a catering company, so she uh, said, I'll, I'll introduce you to our chef. And, um, I, you know, you know, owners, good owners are like, I'll introduce you to the chef, but that's as far as I can do. I'm not going to force the chef to hire you. Right. So I went in. I was like 18. I, um, my interview was family meal. And the chef was like, um, okay, I'll hire you to wash the dishes. <laughs> Love that. And uh, so I did. And, and she told me, um, uh, I was really bummed. I was like, why can't I, I want to cook? I don't want to wash dishes. She said, you need to wash the dishes because you need to understand how this works. And uh, the deal was the faster you wash the dishes, the faster I'll teach you how to cook. So whenever that dish pit is clean, you can run over here and I, and I will teach you to cook. But whenever there's a dish, you've got to go back over there. So I was the fastest dishwasher you've ever seen in your life. I'm sure. Um, and, uh, and I just sort of worked my way up and I had this idea because I'm a very uh, – I'm not an addictive person, but I'm a very passionate person. And so uh, I had this, this idea that uh, anyone could kind of – you know, I knew I wanted to have my own restaurant. And I was like, well, anyone can open their own restaurant in their 30s. I want to do it in my 20s. So I told myself, just go get two full-time jobs. Get an AM cook job and get a PM cook job. And then every year that goes by, you'll get two years experience. I like that. So thing. after... You know, they, they just don't build them like that anymore. <laughs> it's not, that's not like a common thing you hear in today's world. No. Um, 
And then I learned, you know, then I went from doing, you know, an AM job to a PM job to working in restaurants where you work from AM to PM. Oh, yeah. Um, and life changes. And then, but then I was ready for it. Um, and so then I, you know, I became a sous chef at 22, I think. Uh, executive chef at 24. Open scratch bar, I think, at 25. Uh, and scratch bar is about to be 10 years old. Crazy. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, my wife and I, we, we started our first restaurant um, in a coffee shop. Basically, the deal was there was this coffee shop that was open from like they had a full kitchen and they had a counter, um, and they basically wanted to hire me to like consult on like fixing their like breakfast menu. Uh, and I went in, met with the guy, saw it, and he's like, "Do you want to do it?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "How much will you charge?" And I said, "Nothing." And he goes, "I don't get it." And I said, "Well, you close at four o'clock. You have this beautiful space. I don't want to do a pop up. I actually want to." do a dual restaurant here. So I'll run your coffee shop and my sous chefs will all work for your coffee shop in the morning for free. And then at five o'clock, we're gonna turn the sign around. It's gonna be called Scratch Bar and we're gonna run a tasting menu only fine dining restaurant at night. Amazing. And the guy was like, you're gonna work for me for free and all I gotta do is let you be in here when we're normally closed? Sure. Yeah, I mean it made sense for him at the time. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I was 25. My background is a, you know, snot-nosed punk rock fucking skateboarder. So maybe like a month in or so um, comes to me and says, maybe we, I want you to maybe focus a little bit more on the morning stuff. And I was like, no. Like I, we have a deal. I do this. You get a new menu every quarter, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was used to be a hothead. So that uh, conversation ended with fuck you. I'm out. Amen. <laughs> amen, sir. And um, – uh, we literally, I remember going home that night and crying in the shower because I was like, uh, I just, I guess my restaurant just quit its, uh, <laughs> its location and we're sold out all next week. Um, what the fuck are we going to do? So we gutted our one bedroom apartment and we were able to see, I think 28 guests in our one bedroom apartment in Hollywood. And, um, one of my, uh, cooks put on a fucking orange vest got parking tickets got people into the building and we ran for two weeks as a uh, full-blown fucking 18 course tasting menu restaurant out of our apartment wow uh while we were there one of um our our uh diners this guy from from london was like this reminds me of like the punk rock scene in the 80s and i this is so cool the energy blah blah he's like i have a space uh in Beverly Hills on Restaurant Row, there's no restaurant in there. It's a restaurant space, fully permitted. It's mine, but I don't have a restaurant. You have a restaurant in your fucking house, apartment. Uh, you want to go 50-50? I said, fuck yeah. So the next week we opened next door to Matsuhisa's flagship original location across the street from Lowry's. Wow. And, um, and then from there, we just, you know, after about two years, I split with him uh, and uh, went. And for the first time about almost three years into Scratch Bar's life, my name was on the lease. Um, and that was 2015, I think it was. And from there, we've just, you know. So it's been in the same location since then? Yeah, we've been in the same location since 15. So we opened, I think, in 13 in Beverly Hills. And then I took it back to Encino. So you don't know where Encino is, right? No. People who live in LA don't know where Encino is. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, it's It's in the heart of the valley. It's where I grew up, like... It's on the second floor of a three-story like mall, basically like an outdoor like shopping plaza. 
there's like a carousel out front. We're next to a CPK, and people are like, "Why are Why are you here?" And I was like, "Well, C- CPK means California Pizza Kitchen, just so people have an understanding." Got it. Well, yeah. I say it like, "No, I like got you know it. No, it I understand. <laughs> just it's just for Middle America." Um, is that your demographic? Mainly Salina, Kansas. Is, we're big in Salina. We're big. It's a big deal. <laughs> um, but I grew up. I grew up riding that carousel in the front. So I, I was like, a, I was a camp counselor at Camp Encino. Where Scratch Bar is used to be in 31 Flavors when I was a kid, Baskin Robbins. That was my Baskin Robbins. So I ended up taking over four suites, actually five now in the same plaza next door to each other. Kind of like what you have here. Smaller mm-hmm. scale. But um, people were like, why, would you, why are you there? And I'm like, because this is where I grew up. Right. So the th- idea was I'm going to go over the hill. Right. And I'm going to go to Chicago and I'm going to go to, you know, and I'm going to learn how to cook. And then I'm going to come back to where I grew up and I'm going to put a restaurant where there's never been a restaurant before. Amazing. The Valley's known for a fantastic hole in the wall. We have fantastic ethnic cuisine. Sushi's amazing. Um, But there was nowhere that you can go. Even today, we've been there for seven fucking years. We're the only tasting menu restaurant within probably 10 miles in any direction. Wow. Actually, we're full, the only four restaurants. We have four tasting menu restaurants in that plaza, and then that's it. There's nothing. All yours. All ours. Okay, got it. <laughs> so still you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tasting menus became my thing is I don't like to do a la carte. I've tried it. I've done it. I didn't find the passion in it. And when you don't have the passion, you don't find the success. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I still I, – I have a, a good amount of love for a la carte. I think reason being like – I've obviously like I've struggled with this back and forth so much, and I I always thought about like when we opened up this restaurant um, six and a half years ago, I wanted it to be a higher end restaurant that lots of people can come to. Um, maybe now it's not quite that, but it was really supposed to be something that you could still come here to this really nice restaurant and have a meal and not quite like break the bank. Yeah, and that's always why, you know, I always believed in a la carte things have definitely changed since then you know like i mean our cheapest entree now is like 36 dollars as opposed to before world right yeah as opposed to before it was like 19 so you know things have changed a lot and and as a chef i definitely i appreciate the tasting menu more because it's more of a conversation you can have with the guest you know like you get to let them know more about who you are and the kind of food that you appreciate and kind of the things that you want to like put out into the world through a tasting menu because you have more opportunity. And right? I mean, you have seven, eight, nine, ten courses to do that uh, as opposed to just one stop shop. Yeah. You know, I mean, we did um, when I first moved to Encino. And again, I said, like I said, there was Encino was not known for fine dining mm. um, the night before we opened, I pushed out and I and I, I took the entire 25 course tasting menu and made it available, all 25 courses a la carte. Mm. And um, I think it was a terrible mistake. And it took me about two years to, to claw back all the way to just being tasting menu only again. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, you know, that's, that's been my thing is, is, you know, if you've got a passion and there are people who have passion for a la carte, you know, I don't. Mm. I, um, I think it's because when I was like um, maybe seven or eight years old, my father was friends with this sushi chef in LA. And um, so he would take me there like after school, like while the restaurant was closed, we would sit in front of him. And I learned at like seven, eight years old, 
you don't tell him what you want. You just tell him what you don't want and then he'll feed you. And so even like today, if I look at an a la carte menu, I don't, like I start to malfunction. Like I get anxiety, I don't like it. So it, it, and, and typically when like you go to an a la carte restaurant, it's very rare that like everything on the menu is really good. Usually the apps are better than the entrees. Oh, I mean, I think entrees is where people struggle the most. It's hard to make anything that big good. Yeah. Because I, the, the thing is like, you an entree is like 15 bites. And that becomes very monotonous. It's either way too crazy if you're going to be able to like explore stuff. You want to take like two, maybe three bites and be like, wow, that was fucking awesome. What else you got? Yeah. I mean, 28 bites is usually like what you look for in a tasting menu. Um, I definitely understand like the a la carte thing. It's just since I love old school French cuisine so much, it's yeah. like the proper entree to me means so much like the proper app entree dessert like that three course structure is something yeah. that i've always understood super well and i i've always said it i think where people struggle the most is like making an entree that is well-rounded yeah you know and you see a lot of it right because the world is built off of like i'm definitely not going to say tasting menus but it's like the small plate culture right like you know uh we recommend that you buy several of these small dishes yeah. i think that's a fucking cop out also because it's there is no structure to that either you're not really giving them the cadence in which they should eat as mm-hmm. opposed to just saying we just want you to spend a fuck ton of money yeah and i i always felt like that about like the small plate culture of the world because miami has a lot of that um it's basically a sellout move to just say like just order a fuck ton of food <laughs> you know like we just uh, we don't care we just order a fuck ton if it doesn't make sense together we don't really care either it is kind of fun though to be able to like again if you want to try a bunch of stuff i do like Personally, I would rather eat a smaller plate of food than a bigger plate of food. So I do I do like being able to go with my wife and be like, all right, we're going to have six plates of food in front of us rather than she's going to have something and I'm going to have something. I also think that because of your background, you can say, I want these two first, I want these two, and then I want these two. So I'm not going to say what restaurant. I'll tell you after this. Okay. Uh, but I recently ate in a restaurant um, that had just received uh, some, some big accolades. And I was by myself. Wait, but what accolades? I'll tell you later. Okay. And, All right, got um, it. Uh, I don't I, – I, I kind of abide by, you know – remember Thumper's father? Remember what he said from Bambi? Thumper's father said – I remember Bambi, <laughs> but I don't remember what Thumper's father said. He said if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say anything at all. Okay. So my, uh, right. my compromise for that is that I'm just not going to tell you who I'm saying it about. Okay. Um. But I think it. I think that it's important for this discussion. I went to. You know, they didn't offer a tasting menu. They offered a la carte, no problem. I look at the menu. I'm by myself, sit at the bar. I'm gonna, and I can see the way the menu's built. The way the menu built was built kind of seemed to me like maybe they didn't have the balls to do a tasting menu. Mm-hmm. But like clearly, there was like you can order like a single scallop. So like the menu is built as like tasting menu portions. Okay. I know I can see you trying to figure out what restaurant yeah, yeah. this is. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to confirm or deny. It's fine. But um, I ordered out. like five or six, I'll tell you. When I know after, but I want to figure it out. Um, we, <laughs> I ordered like five or six things, right? And about forty minutes goes by, and I was like, and I was like the first person in the restaurant, so I was like, they must be still set. I, I know how restaurants work. I'm like, fuck, they must be super late, like getting the line set up because like I this should like. I ordered shit like a carpaccio. Like that shit should be fast. 45 minutes goes by. 
and they bring me all six plates. Hmm. And they drop all of it in front of me from like a raw shrimp dish to like a steak. And like four servers come over and drop it. And I just look at the guy and I go, do you normally drop all the food at once? And he's like, "Uh, sometimes. And then he just turned around and walked away. And I was like, okay, I'll just put this in order and I'll, I'll eat half this food cold. I don't remember how I got on that tangent, but um. well, I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's sad, right? Because also, like, when you look at the server, be like, what? not curating. That's the that's the point, right? You're not curating an experience, and it's yeah. also when you leave stuff into for other people to figure out. That's when you start to fail. Yeah, right. Like the more securities you have in efficiency and consistency, the better off you're going to be as a restaurateur. So. I don't know. I find that incredibly frustrating. I so want to know who this <laughs> is. But so Scratch Bar, right? That was mm-hmm. first. So then where did we where, where did we go from there? So Scratch Bar was first. Um, and then about a year in with the same partner, I opened a restaurant called The Gathering Swine. This is the partner that was at your house? Yes. Okay. Opened a restaurant called The Gathering Swine. Completely uh, meat-free. Completely vegetable restaurant. Oh, I love that. Um, I never said vegan because to me, vegan food, vegetables to me aren't vegan food. Vegetable is food for everybody. Fake meat is vegan food. Yeah. I mean, I also think you make like concessions for vegan food that, uh, I mean, I know I don't find delicious, like not using certain things, cream and butter and so on and so forth. But I think, I mean, the idea was it was a tasty menu restaurant and it was vegetables. And it was like, the idea was like it was vegetables for meat eaters by meat eaters was kind of the thing. I found out opening week of Scratch Bar that I had um, a tumor in my ear. Um, benign. I, obviously, I survived. Okay. Uh, called Colosteotoma. And um, uh, they were like, you know, you're, we have to open you up. We've got it. Like you're 50% chance you're going to lose your hearing in your right ear. Fuck. Um, and uh, my wife put me on. They, they said it's slow built, like slow growing. They're like, you're fine now. You probably got like, we need to take this out in the next eight months before it starts to like, you know, eat through like basically the, the roof of your ear canal. And then once it pierces your brain cavity, you're done. And I was like, tight. Uh, so intense. Yeah. So my wife puts me on like crazy diet, no alcohol, no meat. Uh, only basically I ate, I eat out of a Tupperware for like three or four months. Yeah. She was buying powders and shit from India and China and, you know, mixing it. And I was like drinking that and the tumor actually started to shrink. And then the tumor shrank enough that they were able to remove it through my ear canal without cutting me open. Incredible. Um, there was a bunch of other like, you know, not Western medicine shit we yeah. were doing. Um, but what it kind of said to me was as a young chef, you're just like more butter, more foie, more this, more that. And I was like, I've made a decision to feed people for the rest of my life. And now I just realized that something happens in between putting the food into your body and having the food come out of your body. And it either can be good for your body or it can be bad for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, the next restaurant we open is going to be a vegetable restaurant. And it's going to be a restaurant that 
is as exciting as any other tasting menu restaurant. It just happens to be, you're not even looking for the meat. You're like, wait, I didn't have meat tonight? So it's called the Gatherian Swine. And um, uh, probably like, why the fuck did you name your vegetable restaurant right. Swine? Uh, so the Gatherian Swine is a philosophical fallacy. And um, what it basically says is uh, that Think about it, the way I kind of describe it is imagine that there's like, like, a, like a flock of ducks, right? And they're all flying in the same direction. You from the outside see them all going in the same direction and you therefore have to assume that they're going the right way. Now, if one duck turns left and the rest of them keep straight, you have to assume the one that turned left is lost. Going the wrong way. That in and of itself is referred to as the gathering swine fallacy. Because more often than not, it might take five minutes, five years, 500 years, but the flock will turn left. Interesting. So I thought... How old were you when you did this? 20... I don't know, six? And maybe. That's deep for 26. <laughs> yeah, 26. I was not that deep. <laughs> um, and uh, there's also lyrics from one of my favorite band. And so I, I, I'm really into lyrics. And so Which I would, band? Uh, me without you, the band I just saw the other night at oh, Grand. That's right. Yeah, which um, apparently only like a hundred people were at. Fuck yeah, for me. Yeah, I good mean, for you. It was so much fun. But yeah, so they have, they, I, they have like, of any lyricist I think ever, I think he writes the best lyrics. But anyways, he has. Um, so I would always I'd read their lyrics and I would like be like, what the fuck is the gathering? And I would, I would read like, what is this? And I was like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, then I thought, like, as a meat-eating chef, my second restaurant, like, I'm supposed to go this way with the rest of the ducks. And I went that way. And that restaurant was named, you know, Bloomberg said, you know, best vegetable restaurant in North America. Amazing. We were in um, – we're on all the lists. And um, uh, I ended up having a falling out with that partner. Uh I owned the name Scratch Bar, so when, when the falling out happened, I could reopen Scratch Bar. Right. But we opened because I had Scratch Bar before I met him. We opened the Gathering Swine together. Right. So I ha- it had to die on the vine. Um, but if you look at this, was 2013, 14. How many years did it take for meat cooking chefs to start cooking vegetables oh, for their tasting menus? Yeah. Right. A while. Um, now it's like a, now it's a thing, right? Eleven Madison does it, and so. I'm not by any means trying to say I was the first, <coughs> you know, first chef to cook vegetables in a tasting menu. Absolutely not. But to be a carnivorous, you know, meat loving chef who says I am going to make my next venture about vegetables, it wasn't really happening back then. Yeah, I mean that's akin to like when Jeremy Fox mm-hmm. did. I don't remember what that Ubuntu. restaurant was. Yes. Um, but that still had eggs. It still had butter. It still had – it was vegetarian, I think it was. Right. So you, you went completely Nothing. without that. Nothing. Oh, man. We weren't serving honey. Oof. Yeah. Oh, because that's... then I was serving honey because I was like, this isn't about animal activism. This is about saying – it was about showing somebody that maybe there's a way that you don't – because I was the kind of guy who ate, I ate meat seven nights a week. Every that's what I needed to feel satiated. So I thought, if I can show someone that they can have a great meal 
and not have to eat meat, then maybe they can go down to eating meat six days a week. Right. Maybe that's one less you know person getting cold. Well, it's a cancer. part of changing the conversation. That's 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 what it was. So and then I started to realize, but of course we got a lot of vegan followers, and so I was you know at first I was like, of course I'm serving honey. Apparently honey is um, uh, it's been described to me as um, animal slavery. Yes. So. Oh, fuck. Um, Jeez. So I tried fighting that, and then I thought to myself, why am I fighting? The demographic who wants to be here right so i just ended up making fucking apple syrup and that was my new honey you know i would just i would just bring in apples and make fucking honey out of that basically so from there uh from there um shut down those two restaurants uh moved uh actually i shut down scratch bar moved it i actually kept the gathering swine going because um for a little while because I in my you know being young dumb and uh, wanting to open restaurants I had uh, accidentally personally guaranteed all of the purveyors Ooh, um, all right. so I was getting sued by the purveyors for uh, lack of payment all right um, which eventually led to why I was no longer had that partner um, and so I made it I made a commitment to keep the restaurant open. no one knew this but I kept the restaurant open until everyone was paid off including the IRS, as soon as everyone was paid off, close the restaurant. It's interesting how many people in our business don't know or understand what a personal guarantee means. <laughs> I think it's like I, when I when I talk to people often about leases and stuff and like I always ask about a personal guarantee, I'm like and they're like, "But what is that?" I'm like, "Oh, no. No, no. No, but you need to know what that yeah. means. You need, well, it's in I, there. Look, it's in there somewhere. I, I knew philosophical fallacies. I didn't know personal guarantees. Right. Yeah, that was like – I mean you learned. It was like, look, I, I, was a, I was a chef. I was a cook. I was in the kitchen and, hey, sign – you want the, you're that new meat rep guy here? Sign this piece of paper. Yeah, you didn't even realize. No, no fucking – I said, what do you mean I have a personal guarantee? Like, this is your signature. I was like, oh, my God. So after those two um, – so I, we, we opened in Encino and um, – just a scratch bar. Then the place. Uh, then there was a shoe store next door that became available. Took it. Then there was an Indian restaurant available next door. Took it. Um, and then uh, just recently, uh, another. There was three sushi restaurants in that plaza. That was also next door. Took that. So um, now we've got scratch bar, two sushis, two sushi by scratch restaurants, um, and um, and pasta bar. All next to each other. Incredible. Yeah, so we opened, we basically opened up the back so that we could, and we, we joined them all so that we could just get one liquor license because uh, they're not inexpensive. And I couldn't, we could get four. It's a smart move, though. Yeah. I love that. So that's all on the West Coast. That's on the West Coast. Well, that's, that's all in, in Los Angeles. Then we had the opportunity to go up to uh, Montecito. Uh, which is like uh, just south of Santa Barbara, like one exit south of Santa Barbara. And um, we got approached by this hotel group, uh, privately owned, a couple brothers, their, their family. Uh, they approached us to, um, they wanted us, Scratch Bar was like their favorite restaurant and Sushi Bar was their favorite restaurant. And so like, we want you to come and do restaurant. Like we're going to renovate our hotel and want you to come and open restaurants here. So we ended up opening three restaurants in the hotel. Um, one of them was a Silver Bow. And um, that was my first attempt at three Michelin stars. Um, 
and it was a eight seat restaurant that did one seating a night. Um, it was ticketed, so you, it was five hundred fifty dollars. It was all inclusive. That was is five fifty you pay up front to to get your seat. Then everything is complimentary. There is a there is a beverage pairing. There are welcome drinks. There are after dinner drinks. It was an entire you know yeah the whole thing. It was it, we called it an exercise in opulence. Oh, I love that. And um, it was very dramatic. You uh, you would go into the you would uh, <laughs> you would be taken you'd like start in the lobby of the restaurant with with uh, with champagne. Then when all eight guests arrived, we would take you into the dining room, which was basic. Well, we would take you into this little room with the lights were off, and it was probably about the size of this area, mm. maybe six feet by about 12 feet, eight people would come in and there was a table right down the center of the room that was lit just above the table. So the room was pitch black. The entire room was red curtains all the way around. So you walked in and the red curtains closed behind you. And um, there was this basically like this uh, landscape with this, with our, our, our logo was uh, this beautiful apple tree. Um, because the the silver bow is a uh, a story in Irish uh, like mythological folk folklore, mm. and um, I'm into that kind of legendary it. shit. No, I see it. Uh, so that um, the uh, the silver bow the story. Of the silver bow is that the gods uh, would get, and we would tell you this story. So you would come and there, there would be this beautiful landscape with this tree and all this moss and rocks and everything and. There was set, we would start telling you the story, and you would start to realize that there's several courses of food, sort of hidden in this um, in this landscape. And uh, you want another beer now? I'm okay right now, thank you. Uh, hidden in this landscape, and uh, we would tell you the story about how the gods would basically one day the gods got bored and they thought um, we're gonna plant this sort of magical apple branch. Um, it's gonna be silver, cast in silver, in the mortal realm, and anyone who is to find it and um, touches it will immediately be trans uh, transported into the world of the gods. And when they arrived, we will treat them as if they were the god. Oh, sorry. Um, so they would show up. The, somebody would find it. They'd be transported to the world of the gods, and then they would be treated as if they were the god by the gods, and it would be you know, like vomitorium style, like, you know, a bacchanal. And it would, it would last as long as until you fell asleep. And once you've, and it could last as long, right? But once you fall asleep, you'd wake back up and that the, the branch was not in your hand anymore. So if we were together and I touched the branch, I could be there for three days. And the second I fell asleep, you'd be like, dude, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I, I've been there for three days. Amazing. So we would tell you the story, and you would then find this little apple that was that was in there that was stuffed with like a foie gras and hazelnut and fuck you know, and it was a crunchy little apple that was like cast in silver, like it was like painted in silver basically. And as you would take that bite, you walked into the room like this. One of the like one of the curtain walls would would open, and um, then there would be an eight seat counter, um, and us. Like six of us chefs and a sommelier right there. And then you'd sit down and do like, I think it was like 24 courses, something like that. And 
and it was just like like over the top. And then after dinner, uh, we basically say there's no other turn, so just stay and drink with us. And part of it was um, uh, we'll just drink with you. So part of the job was like you drink with the the the, the guests afterwards. Wow, that's a pretty good job. Yeah, until you do it for like six months, and because right. um, I was drink like I had this one gallon growler. Because I, I drink beer and I started, I realized about six weeks in, I was drinking a gallon of beer wow. every night. That's a lot of beer. Yeah. I ended up taking about a year and a half off yeah. after, <laughs> after sure. a while of that. Um, but anyway, so that, that restaurant, uh, then the Michelin guide ended up coming out, but we weren't, um, we hadn't been open, we had opened like two months before it came out. Mm. But um, then the, uh, the, uh, we ended up, we ended up closing that restaurant we sold it back to the hotel. Um, but we left uh, our sushi bar in the hotel. We ended up still getting a star in the hotel, which is great. That's cool. Um, that's so. That's it for the West Coast, and then, uh, then COVID happened. Oh, COVID! Um, COVID happened. We were forced to to. They told us, you know, two weeks. You're gonna be closed for two weeks. Oh man, that's definitely not the case on the <laughs> West Coast. Yeah, no, it was it was two years. Um, so they said on, on March 15th, they said two weeks. We said, okay, not a big deal. Everybody go home. Two-week vacation. Uh, then nothing, you know, two, two months goes by and we're like, all right, we better start trying to do takeout. And so we tried takeout and it was actually incredibly successful. And then they uh, said with no, you know, go ahead and reopen. So we tried to reopen, but Scratch Bar because of the parameters, we couldn't reopen it. And so we tried to keep takeout going with Scratch Bar because we were doing, for Scratch Bar, we were doing a nine course, like we got like faux china and like plated like beautiful dishes and like put lids on them and we'd send you home an entire tasting menu, like pre-plated, like ready to go. Sushi was doing a, um, the full 17 courses and I, I filmed a whole virtual omakase from like your POV. It's dope. Um, but then they said, go ahead and reopen. Sushi was sold out like that. And we went to like from doing like 200 scratch bars a night to zero because people were like, you can go to a restaurant again. Why the fuck would I do takeout? Right. Um, so we were, we were forced to either make a decision, fire all the staff from scratch bar or I had this bar next door that like we hadn't reopened. And I was like, I don't want to move scratch bar to the bar because that's not what scratch bar is a thing. Yeah. So we should come up with a new concept. And so I, on a Sunday night, I had this idea for like, well, there's no good pasta around here. And I only do tasting menus. So what if we do a pasta tasting menu? So we did it. And I'm like, six months later, we got a star there. And I was like, ah, I guess we're going to make this a real restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they shut us down. So then they kept moving us indoors, outdoors. And they finally shut us down for Christmas of 2020. Um, and said, uh, no more patio dining. Patio dining is too dangerous. Um, you can't eat outdoors. Not outdoors, not indoors, not anywhere. No. So I took a you know roll call from the team and said, who's willing to relocate to another state? Because it wasn't LA, it was California. California. Right, it was the whole thing. Yeah, you could not, it was too dangerous to eat outdoors 10 feet apart mm -hmm. at that time. And so enough people raised their hand. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look around the country and I'm gonna find some places, and we're gonna we're gonna go work somewhere else. So I, I I've got a lot of friends in Austin. I ended up going to Austin on my um, 
flight to Austin uh, was the first time during the pandemic that I started seething with rage. I got to LAX. I'm leaving the state to go find another place to, to, to work because I can't work here because it's too dangerous to cook on the patio. I get to LAX and their restaurants are operating indoors. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. most people don't know this. At LAX? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. You know who owns the restaurants at LAX? No, sir. The city of Los Angeles. Oh, so, wow. So <laughs> the city, oh, man. The city was... Is, I had yeah, no idea so this was a thing. The city was operating restaurants indoors for profit when I had to shut down my, my team and lay them off for Christmas because I couldn't operate outdoors. Fuck. And I was I'm enraged. For it was you right it was now. one of those only. T- I, I I did one of these things where I like. All right, guys, I'm at fucking LAX right now. I did one of those like Instagram things where I was like yelling at the fucking phone. I'd never done that before, and I you know I look. I'm not a fucking scientist. I don't know a doctor. Look, I, I you tell me to do this. I do my part. I don't I don't really ask too many questions. It's right. I cook. You don't tell me. You know you do you do politics. Right. I, I get it. But when I saw that, I was like fuck that so I got on a plane flew to Austin uh, (laughs) landed there and um, so you think this is moving fast six days later after I landed the first time in Austin we were open to the public incredible yeah so um, what we did we basically I found a space and um, uh, this really cute little Japanese uh, restaurant um, called Bento Picnic and um I got introduced uh, to, to the chef there um, by uh, uh, Adam Brick, who who like who sells fish to all the, the best restaurants in, in Austin, and um, uh, she had this little tiny, like literally sat like two two tops in this little tiny room. It was ten feet by ten feet, and um, ten feet by nine feet, and she, uh, I was like, you think I know it's crazy, but like. You think I could open a pop-up omakase in that little tiny room over there? And she's like, uh, can you like come back? Okay, can we talk later? I'm like busy right now. I'm like, I have to fly back to LA tomorrow. Can I come meet you for breakfast? And she's like, sure. So I went in and met her for breakfast. We hit it off. And she's like, when, okay, when do you want to do this? I was like, next week. Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, and she's like, that's crazy. And I was like, if you're okay with it, I will, I'll do it. Let me and- ask you, in this whole time, you're going through all these things in Austin. Are you still seething with rage? No, I move on. Man, because I am—I cannot fathom how wrong that would feel, and just like super fucking pissed that entire time. I used to be someone who held grudges. I used to be a very angry person. That's um, not a grudge, though. That's like people looking out for themselves and not looking out for the people. No, no, no. I get that, but what I'm saying is because of those characteristics and traits. I've learned over the years uh, to focus that energy into into something. And so I sort of just decided I can – I mean, of course I was still upset about it. But every ounce of energy that I could have spent, poor me, fuck that. This, I'll just put that energy into getting this fuck because now I got I to fucking – I don't have time to be angry about this. I got guys – I got my family I got to worry about. So I got I to gotta find some – it's Christmas time, and I gotta lay everyone off. Fuck that. So, six days later, we 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 fly into Austin the night before we open. I go to floor and decor. I buy fucking you know folding tables. I put uh, 
uh, butcher block countertops on top of them. We we work out of out of out of Cambros with ice. We fly with all of our mise en place, and um, we open to the public, and uh, it worked. It, it it worked out so well. People well, tell me about it. the first night. I don't fucking remember. Uh, I think the first night. Well, so the first week or so was actually pretty slow. We could only fit six guests because the room was so fucking small, and um, we basically like like it, there's like windows behind us. You had like little like little sake bottles like in the windowsill. We're like working out of like little igloo coolers. Um, I mean, it was it was it was a mess. But um, so we tried. So we have, you know, we have PR in, in LA and we have a following. And so, you know, we're like, hey, PR, mm-hmm. contact Austin. And everyone, all the media in Austin was like, we're not going to promote this. You know, um, we're okay. not. Two reasons. One, Austin wasn't shut down. But that didn't mean that a lot of the, like, writers didn't want, like, writers thought that we should be shut down. And oh, so. I mean, Austin is probably one of the more liberal parts of texas no oh, of texas yes <laughs> i mean I, i'm just at, i don't know i don't know much about texas in general I, all that's all i hear from yeah so there was definitely a, a sense of like we don't think it's responsible for you to be opening so we're not going to tell anyone there was also a sense of like we're trying to support our restaurants mm-hmm. like you know there's not enough room on the boat dude like don't get on my fucking boat there's a little bit of that as well um, but again, I was a six feet fucking restaurant. You, you can spare six people. Right. And again, all I'm trying to do is like provide. Provide. Prov- like I was going there. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose money. This is so that my team can have jobs for Christmas. I think a lot of people in in the process of COVID, I've had this conversation several times, in the process of COVID, in the process of the whole thing of like reopening, closing, re- how how we operated, a lot of it barrels down to the fact that like we just wanted to provide for people. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, us personally, we let go of 137 employees and, you know, we were shut down for a much smaller time than what you guys were, but I just wanted to get them back to work. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we went from 137 to, I think we had like 27 and then as we started to work our way through it, then we got up to 47 and then we got up to like 70 and then we got back to like full force. But it's really just, I mean, there's people and they want to work. I mean, you just have to be able to provide work for them. And that's what it was. And so we were going to, you know, LA again said, we're only going to be closed for, you know, three and a half weeks. So we were only going to go do a pop-up. No, six weeks. So we're only going to go do a pop-up for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so nobody wants to promote us locally. Fine. Totally cool. We have a mailing list. We've got, you know, we've been around for a long time. People fought, you know, people care about, about, about us and we run our restaurants like a family. So when you come, when you're a diner and when you're one of our guests and especially if you're a regular, like you know everyone by name, they know you by name. It's just, restaurants are fucking 10 seats. Like we know. Proper hospitality. And so we, um, we had, we basically sent out a newsletter that said, hey, you know we're shut down. We're taking our team to Austin because everybody needs a job for Christmas. Please, if you know anyone in Austin, tell your friends to support us. And um, that right there sold, I'm going to say we were 50% sold out for the six weeks, just like from that push right there. Everyone telling their friends, you got to go, you got to go. And um, so when we first got there, but again, this was like four days before we opened. So um, we were not busy the first week we were open. Um, 
and then uh through that uh yeah we just you know we we started going and then word of mouth people were like dude this is fucking in that sample size of like and i asked this just because i obviously i'm a self-talker so in that first week were you like man did i fuck up no um I believed in it. Uh, my partners didn't believe in it. My uh, Some of the people on my team didn't believe in it. It took a lot of fighting to make this happen because it was like, I mean, think about it. We're in LA. We just, we just shut, the, the state just shut down. You want to go invest 25 grand while we have no revenue in... Opening next week in a place that won't promote us. That's a hard... You want to do... Like, that's a bad idea. On paper, that's a bad idea, but I believed in it. And I said, I'm going to go myself and I am going to work with these guys and I am going to make it successful. We are going... Not me. Like, not like I'm the, the golden goose, but like... I as we... I get it. I believe that if you, that that if you don't take no for an answer, no is not possible. Somebody's so, got to be crazy enough though to come up with the idea to say like this is a good roll of the dice. Yeah, and I and I and I believe that. And it's like you know, and I understand it too. It's like I as in we. Yeah. You know, like the the family of us is going to go do this thing. But someone's got to be fucked up enough to be like, this is a great idea. <laughs> as everyone else is like, that's not a great idea. Like, this is a great idea. Well, look, you stop moving, you die. And that's really what that's what it was. Yeah, but it's also like that whole time period, right? It stopped the world. Yeah. Right? So a lot of parts of the world started to like kind of fall apart because everything was at a stalemate. I think the people that made it through the whole thing were the people that like just fucking just still had some kind of a vision mm -hmm. to make it through it. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, we, um, we just said fuck it and we went and did it and I just believed in the product and I believed what we did and I believed what we were bringing to the table and I knew that it was like a, it was like a if you build it they will come type of thing I was like I know that once people start going they will love it and they will come and they will tell their friends and still it, it was like but Philip that's right but then you're leaving in six weeks so like by the time the snowball actually grows you'll be gone and I was like well we gotta we gotta do it anyways we got to do it anyways. But I, I also think that that like thing of staying at the forefront of people's minds, whether whatever part of the country you're in, is incredibly important. Yeah. Right? Because it financially, it may not strike all the time, but it still has a long-lasting effect. Like, this is that crazy motherfucker that went to Austin for <laughs> six weeks and did a thing and then came back and then maybe went back. I don't know. Like, we're not totally sure. That stuff matters. Well, again... What it was was every night, and I told and I told every guest, "Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Thank you for supporting us. We're here because we lost our jobs, and you are literally supporting my team through Christmas right now. Thank you for being here. Please tell your friends. Please tell your friends to come support us." And they were like, "Even if you, they were like, well, the fucking food is great. The experience is amazing. I would come even if there wasn't a fucking sob story. But there is a sob story, so now I'll definitely tell my friends." Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, we just by the by the second week, by by January 10th, we opened December 29th. By January 10th, we were sold out for the rest of January, um and we had about 100 people on the wait list. Amazing. And um that night, we went out and fucking partied. 
And Good for you. I was, I mean, it was like that feeling of like, like, it's like, fuck you. Like, I fucking knew it. I knew this would fucking work. Right. Fuck all you guys. Fuck everyone who said no. Um, not really. I mean, my wife didn't even think it was a good idea, but like, it everyone was like, except for you, honey. <laughs> everyone except for no, you. No, but but it was it was like that feeling of like I fucking like you guys didn't think I had it in me. I fucking had it in me. Like that like that feeling of just like um so that's the, that's that's January 10th. I think it was January 10th. I don't know, first week or so, or so. Sold out. Amazing night. We go out, we get fucking hammered cuz it was like we did it. Yeah. Um we're a thing. Yeah. Um and then the next day is when Joe Rogan comes in. Joe, we talk about Joe so much on this show. Just because I'm, I'm, yeah, because I'm looking for his Spotify money. We're just out here <laughs> trying to take take a small slice of Joe Rogan's Spotify money. I this is the first time, and I'll say it before you get into the story. This is the first time we've had equal guests with Joe Rogan. Is that is that is that true? It's um, it's the first time Bancom Podcast has had a, shared a guest with Joe Rogan. Um, the the Dade podcast and the Liberated podcast have shared multiple guests. With wow, you. my <laughs> my fucking bad, Nick. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's that's fucked up. You as a producer giving us bad guests, like you're only ten no, episodes deep. They, they, they were really not appropriate. Uh, for, <laughs> well, because one of them was uh, uh, Larry Sharp, who ran as ran as a libertarian for New York governor. Oh, got it. Really not a Pancom podcast sort of guy. Sure, got it. You know that yeah. ki- that kind of character. Well, anyways. For Pancom Podcast, this is the first. So, tell us how that went. Yeah, so um, I didn't know he was coming in. It, you know, it was under his wife's name, not his. And they came in again. Six. The fucking restaurant was only this table and a half, right? So six guests in a in a row. Me here. Uh, well, me in the middle. My two chefs. My my bartender. And. Um, comes in you know hat down low not there to be seen he's on a date and um very kind very gracious but very much like on a date and probably didn't realize that like he's sitting like up to like he probably thought he was going to a restaurant where he could like sit in a dark corner right so start you know and and obviously you're sitting right in front of me and I, i like watching people eat our food i like to see their reaction i like to play with them a little bit and um I kept watching like him and his wife and they were like they take like they take a bite and like holy fuck like that was good. And about two thirds of the way through the menu, he started talking just a little bit. Seventeen courses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um actually I think almost the same menu of, as what you had. Um because I all every time we open a new location, I open with this, with almost that same same menu. Yeah. Do what you know. Well it's kinda of, it's my it's the greatest hits, right? right? It's the greatest hits fucking the restaurants almost six years old been through a thousand dishes these are if we're gonna go to a new a, a new a new a new market it's like i'm gonna start you with the one that's gonna we're gonna make every list and then we'll start fucking around a little bit um so about two-thirds of the way through he's kind of like starts like you know what's your story like you're what you're a fucking white kid why are you making sushi this <laughs> like you know like the fucking the, the normal like people are like wait you i thought there was like i thought you worked for like an old japanese dude right um, and I was like, no, no, it's just, just me. I grew up, wanted to be a sous chef since I was a kid. You know, what are you, what are you doing here in this little fucking, why are we in a, in the side room of some other restaurant? Tell the story about the team, the whole deal. Uh, and, and then he's like, you know, 
you know, I just moved. He said, like, I just moved to Austin. You guys should, you know, how do I get this again? I was like, well, unfortunately, we're sold out. For <laughs> I love that. And um, sorry, I pal. mean, next time you're in LA, if we open again, you know, when whenever California lets us, he's like, he's like, no, how do I? He's like, how do I? How do I get this? Like, how do how, stay? You should stay. And I was like, I can't stay. I have fucking so many responsibilities in in California. Like, I can't. I'm here because I can't be there. But as soon as I can be there, I'm going back. And he's like, what if I could be – he's like, well, why don't you stay for February? And I was like – "I." he's like, what if I can guarantee you'll be sold out for February? And I was like, I mean – Okay. Now I we mean, can start having – now we can have a conversation. Threaten me with a good time. <laughs> and he basically was like, look, uh, if you stay for Fe- – he's like, do it. And I was like, well, I'll think about it. He's like, don't think about it. Do it. Just fucking do it. He's like, if you do it, if you say you'll do it. I'll post about it. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Whatever, fuck it. Let's go. Like, I just, I let's, let's fucking do it. And so he's like, here, stand there. He takes a picture of me in front of the, the, the sign and everything. He's like, give me all your information. He's like, what, when are you going to open it? Open it now. I was like, I can't, I'm cooking right now. Like, I can't open the rest. He's like, tonight. And I was like, all right, I'll be done by midnight. At midnight, I'll open it. He's like, promise? I'm like, yeah. So at midnight, I open up reservations for February. Nobody knows this. It's, you know, at, by, at like 12.05, he's booked himself three, three more reservations for February. Cool. And then he posted on his Instagram. This is a Saturday night. And within about four minutes, February sold out. Four, like four actual four minutes? Four minutes. So like, like actual minutes. Not like we're talking about like, oh, it was like four minutes. Like it was actual minutes? Yes. Like, like less than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're between four and five. All right, between, got it. Yeah. Between maybe six. No, but between right. four and five minutes. So he basically says, um, no, he doesn't. He just, so he posts online. Just imagine like, you know, we all follow him online. We follow people online. It's 1230 at night, central time on a Saturday night. Enough people were on Instagram within that much time that they booked and we released, I don't know. 800 seats for February or something like that. Um, and uh, four minutes, sold out. Second night in a row, we go fucking party. And I was very grateful that we had – I got to actually feel successful the night before. So I could never – I almost feel like the universe did that on purpose. So I could be sold out with 100 people on the wait list before he came in right. and blew the fucking world apart. Because I feel like had that not happened for the rest of my life, I would feel like, did I earn it or did was it given to me? And having looking back at, and knowing that like the night before we celebrated for earning it isn't incredible. But anyway, by the, I wake up the next morning at like you know eleven a.m. and there's twenty thousand people on the wait list. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Talk about the that's like a that is the true influence there. That is the uh, pinnacle of what influence actually stands for. Yes. Well, I mean, he literally. I think the 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 post was something like. I just had the best sushi of my life. They're only in town for February. Stop what you're doing and book. It was something like that. Like it was like a, hey, knuckleheads, go do this. Do this. And um, so that happened. And then it was like, and then I felt a responsibility. I was like, Austin has embraced us. Austin has supported us. I can't go home. And I made a public announcement. I'm going to. We just kept extending the the the, the pop up. I was like, 
I'm not going to go home until every one of you gets a chance to eat here. This wasn't at the same place that I ate at. No. Okay. No. Um, the restaurant I'm talking about right now, Sushi Bar ATX, I ended up a year later selling. Okay. Um, so this restaurant that Joe blew up and everything and is is no longer mine. Different chef, different menu, different owners, different everything. Okay. Um, I subsequently, uh, after selling that restaurant, opened Sushi by Scratch Restaurants, which is the one that you ate at in Austin. Right. And um, then after I opened that one, Joe came in and posted the same fucking thing. Right. So I was lucky to get a seat there. Well, you knew a guy. Yeah, I knew a guy. I knew a guy. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a fucking great time, man. What like the whole experience was like super top notch. Though I mean, the whole thing. I I actually because I had just arrived off of a plane, dressed for dinner. Yeah. Because I got there at four thirty and dinner was at five, five or six maybe. I think you guys were the no, you guys were seven fifteen. Okay, so yeah. like literally just got there, went straight to dinner. It was a great time. Like I told you, I mean, I was in Austin for like 22 hours. Yeah. And it was, it was great. I mean, the whole experience from top to bottom, I didn't even know that we were staying in the same hotel where the dinner was at. And it it's was a beautiful fucking hotel. What? Beautiful. It was like a fucking Disneyland for middle America. Like it's it was a, fucking nuts. It's a it was fucking, like, it's a 600 acre hotel. Six, it's three and a half miles from the entrance to the front door. Yeah, that's um, that's their driveway. That's what I'm saying. It was three and a half miles. <laughs> the ten, the the ten minute the driveway, door. like was fully crazy. manicured, beautiful. When we deer got, running around. When we got like, I ordered the Uber and it was like 25 minutes, and I'm like, oh, I mean, I guess this shit's kind of far. And then we get to the front, like, oh, we're already here. They're like, no, not really. <laughs> it was like another 10 minute drive, and I'm like, wow, but it's it's impressive. Yeah, impressive, and just the whole. Uh, and like I've told you uh, several times, like the whole experience, like the drama, the engagement, the service aspect, the food, like it's all just very like encompassing of now that I've gotten to know you of like your ideology yeah. and who you are, which I think is great because so often you don't really get to know the chef through the experience. Yeah. And I always find like, I find that to be pretty sad, but I got after that, I mean, that's what i We've been friends for three weeks. And I was like, we became fast friends. It doesn't because, feel like that. Yeah, no, it feels it, it feels much longer. But it's like, you know, once I eat your food and I understand the, the whole thing and like more often than not, when I go out to eat, I don't necessarily enjoy myself. Man, I fucking, I had a ball of a time. You know, oh, yeah. the whole thing. And I, one of my favorite parts, obviously the, the food was great. But afterwards, when you gave your guys an opportunity to put up their own food. Yeah. I love that. And I love that whole experience and like you with them and them with you. Yeah. That whole thing to me and like both of their dishes were fucking great, which to me is like, yeah, I mean, great breeds great, you know, and, and that just shows it goes to show like the nurturing of talent, the family aspect, like all that stuff for me is the most important thing when it comes to like a great restaurant. It was just an eight seat restaurant, yeah, you know, and, and it was an eight seat restaurant inside of another restaurant. And I was like, this well, is become, fucking that's, wild. That's become our thing. You know, our thing is like taking over people's PDRs. You know, we're such a small fucking footprint. I mean, we're like, we're 10 seats. Like, I mean, fuck. The spot here is 13 feet by 14 feet and we're putting 10 people in it. It's tight. Well, let's <laughs> talk. Well, okay. So we'll, we'll just, Joe Rogan is great. Joe, thanks. <laughs> uh, 
But so I guess why we became fast friends is because uh, now you're coming to Miami. Yeah, I'm here. Well, yeah, no, I know you're here now. <laughs> We've spent the last two and a half days together. I'm, I'm aware. But it's um, – Philip is opening up sushi in the small bed and breakfast that we have adjacent to Ariette and Nave. Mm-hmm. And which I've told you I love that because I have been dying to have something else other than us in this corner. And not just something else other than us, something else that I find is like – of great caliber. So, welcome to the city. That's first. Thank you. And uh, it's definitely not going to be easy, right? I think easy. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's easy as long as it's fun. Well, what I'm saying is it, the space is pretty tight. Yeah, but after that story I just told you about Austin, this is yeah. a fucking cakewalk, dude. <laughs> I guess. Well, what's also, what's also incredible is like you're taking over the most historic – property in this part of Miami. Um, it's a beautiful property. It's on a beautiful property. It's I've seen the whole evolution of that thing. Like I told you, I've seen it from when it was like the original house to when it got broken down to just like the bones of it because uh-huh. you have to leave the bones up and yeah. just like restructure it to now what it is now. And I've just been, I have seen the evolution of that to like now. So I love that you're opening there and that you're booked for the whole month. Yeah, right now we are we're sold out for July, and we just passed I think sixty five hundred on the wait list. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's like a it's like living in a weird fucking dream, dude. It's you know I keep like I kept saying to my wife like this is like I guess this is what overnight success feels like, and she would keep reminding me she like say stop saying that. This is not overnight success. We started this 10 fucking years ago. Well, I was about to, I was about to, I'm going to repeat her sentiment. It's like, it's definitely not overnight. Yeah, there's some aspects that have helped along the journey, but I mean, the journey has been from, how old are you now? 35. From 25, 24, working in a sushi restaurant at 18 to now. I mean, this is not overnight success. This is like, this is 17 years. But it feels like it because for so long, you know, like when we first opened Scratch Bar, it was like, you know, I've been cooking in the city for so long that it was like, oh, Quinn sous chef is opening his restaurant. You know, oh, like I was three years in and I was still so and so sous chef. I wasn't even my own. I wasn't oh, like. I know how that feels very well. You so know, I you don't have to tell me. I know how that feels. And so then, like for for years, you almost you you know, I don't know if you deal with this, but I have like hardcore imposter syndrome, like yeah. hardcore. I mean, I think it, when it comes to a point, it's like, dude, you think about it, like. We're so used to struggle that when success comes, you don't, you feel like you don't, you feel like, wait a second, hold on. Am I, am I going to wake up from this? Yeah. You know, it's like, you're so used to like dishwasher calling out, prep cook didn't show up. You got to be there. That that still happens. (laughs) It still, it does still happen. It's just a little bit easier when you, when you have the financial security of knowing that people want to come to the restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, dude, just like in the space that we're sitting in, the struggle that has lived here is intense so to see where it is now I'm just kind of like I don't know is this real you know and it's one of those things that since we're so used to that struggle even beforehand before being your name on the ticket right and beforehand working for other people seeing the struggle Mm -hmm. so on at at different levels it's like fuck I mean are we really here because we also see so many other people 
still struggle. Yeah. You know, and still go through so many of the things that you've been through and I've been through. And it's like, I know what you're feeling. I just may not be feeling it right now, but I know, I definitely understand what you're feeling. So the imposter syndrome is big, but it's also like, I think perspective is 2020, right? When you sit back and you look at it from the outside in, which is very hard to do. And I struggle with that so much is to just look at it like, wow. I mean, the journey has been incredible. Yeah. It's a while, like every once in a while, like I'll reminisce on like how the fuck we got here. And it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. But, um, but now I'm, 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 I'm getting better at accepting, I don't want to say I'm accepting success because success suggests that like you got there oh, and I don't really think, there. and I don't think we're anywhere near where we're there, but it's just like now we have restaurants that are busy. Yeah. And like, like I'm a fucking hustler, you know, like when I, when, when I went on my first tour, it was like you would, you'd print out, you know, map quest directions and you would show oh, up three, you would show up early to the city to go like flyer the skate parks and the, and the malls. And like, we were a DIY, you know what I mean? Like I come from that like hustle background. Like, you know, my parents told me when I was, when I was very young, that uh, something that I'm definitely gonna tell my daughter and that is, um, you can do absolutely anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. Um, you want to be the president. You want to be a fucking astronaut. Um, and that's that's not even the follow up to that. It isn't even even like a uh, a racial thing or like you know that I have a better opportunity than anyone else. Of course, I you know it's easier for me. Um, but the, the follow up to that was uh, just for me. I don't think Philip wants any more. Nick, you want? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. The follow-up to that is you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. But nobody's going to give it to you. And everyone's going to try to take it away. Because the world does not give a fuck. They didn't say that part to me. But yeah, I think no, it was I'm implied. Just, I'm adding that part. <laughs> but, I, but I think it was – so I, I have this mentality of like you can do it, but you have to do it. No one's going to do it for you. And you can't just do it and leave it because someone's going to take it. So you have to do it and sustain it and if you do it sustain it and don't take no for an answer then you can do anything you want you can be anything you want well i think it's like when you reach a point to know you've worked to like towards that point and you're there that's cool now drive that point in yeah and continue to drive that point and like drive that thing all the way to the very end until you decide like i'm good here well, now it's like, you know, now it's, it, I've just turned from one struggle to another. But before it was like, how do I, how do I, it's, it's always been about job security for the team, right? I'll be fine. I'll figure, you know, we go out of business, you know, I'll. I, I find it fascinating, sorry to cut you off, is like the old ideology of like a restaurateur and people who own restaurants and stuff is like one of like, they're just looking out for themselves, right? And the more I talk to people like us, Younger, whatever, struggle to success, um, however you reach that point, it always comes back to that one thing that you just said, which is security for the team, mm -hmm. looking out for the team, always being about the team. And I think I am a true believer, like, that's what makes a great restaurant company a great restaurant company. Wow, that was fast. What did you I think have she, got, she got it on deck. Yeah. <laughs> They know podcast nights, how it goes. Well, I mean, he, but here's the thing. Most 
of the traditional restaurateurs you're talking about or business owners didn't used to be the team. We were the team. Oh, yeah. So when I'm looking out for the team, I'm looking out for me. Yeah. Like that was all of the young me's, all of the new next generation me's are the ones that I want to supply for them the security that I didn't have. And so, you know, it went from... But it's also part of the care, right? Like I remember coming up in plenty of restaurants until I met my two mentors um, that they, you were a number. Yeah. You were a number, you filled a role, you were just part of the wheel. And then when I started to learn a different type, like part of the culture, I think that's what really evolved me into like thinking the way that I think now. And it's true. It's like those people that have lived the struggle, the people that were chefs, people that were dishwashers, the people that were the team. And I think the more you think about it as like, you just want to see people win. Like I want to see my team win as much as as people see me as winning. Because the way, like, when I win, we all win. But I want to see them surpass the shit that I've yeah. done, you know? I've just now, for the first time in my career, am having my old chefs opening their first restaurants. Mm-hmm. We're starting to become, you know, I'm starting to become a grandfather, You're I guess. You're a grandfather, yeah. <laughs> and um, I actually, uh, <laughs> there was an article that just came out, not, I guess, a list or an article, whatever you call it of the best sushi restaurants in in Austin. And behind mine, behind Sushi by Scratch restaurants was Toshikon, which is one of the chefs I brought to Austin with me. Oh, great. Behind that was Sushi Bar ATX, my old restaurant. Oh, your old restaurant. And behind that was um, Hush, the other chef I brought to Austin's. Crazy. So on a list of eight, (coughs) it was us, and then three of our offspring. Your seeds. Um, and when I went and ate at um, at Toshikon, which is a new, and when I explain it, you might, you know, it's an eight seat, omakase only, speakeasy. Uh, heard of that? <laughs> I've heard that story already. But but I mean, I didn't fucking invent it, you no, know. I, so like, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of. Hey, hum- look, if it works, there's a lot of know? humble realization in that too. Yeah. right? it's like. Oh man, I've talked about Cuban sandwiches so many times today, but like, it's like, I didn't, I didn't create the Cuban sandwich. I'm never going to say like, how dare you steal my Cuban sandwich? Like this shit's been around for a long time. Like you do yours. That's cool. I'm sure it's great. I do mine. The one I had yesterday, that was a Cuban sandwich, right? That was a pangalachon. Is that the Cuban sandwich or is it different? No, it's different. It's different. But I mean, I would, I will say that that interpretation of a Cuban sandwich is the first time it's been done that way. It's fuck. I had it again today. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's so fucking good. I love that. Thank you. That's awesome. That makes me so happy because I get so much shit for that fucking sandwich. From who? People. You know, like... Have they tried it? Yeah. And it's always kind of like, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We talked about this yesterday. I guess guess if I grew up with a specific thing Mm -hmm. and there's nostalgia and then maybe... But like from an outsider's perspective, strictly speaking, objectively, that is a phenomenal sandwich. When, When you come back... I'll take you to like what is the traditional traditional. Which will I like more? Probably mine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm just saying because <laughs> it's fucking good, dude. It's good. The other one's good too. It's just like ours is a little, just like a hair more interesting and a little more just like this is the way that I think that it makes more sense. Yeah. You know, I don't think either one is right. Like one is better than the other. I just think that this is one interpretation. This is the other. 
But that's kind of what I mean is like, you didn't create that. You just did it your way. Mm-hmm. And then other people are doing it their way. Yeah, like, so so Sane, who's the, the chef of Toshikon, so I, I got invited to the friends and family, and everyone was asking me, like, how do you feel? Are you pissed off? Like, whatever. And I was like, to be honest, I was like, I don't know how I feel. Like, I, I'm going to go, and I'm going to support them, and um, I'm excited to see it. Well, they wanted you to be combative. They were looking for a quote, but go on. No, this, was, this wasn't even media people. Still. This was This was friends. Still. Um, people were like, dude, are you cool with that? And I was like, first of all, I want everyone to be successful. I don't fucking own sushi. Why would I not be cool with it? I was like, to be honest, as long if I go there and he's just doing our food and he's not giving us, like, even if you're doing our food, as long as you're giving us credit, like, you have to give, like, credit for, you know, or do your own thing. Right. And so I went there, I took my GM, uh, and I found myself instinct instinctually, I don't, whenever I eat at my own restaurants, you probably do this too. I'm on my notes the whole time. Yeah. And um, instinctually, I was taking notes on the entire menu as if it was one of my restaurants. And I had a fantastic time. And I found myself so, like, like emotionally invested and proud and, like, a type of pride that I hadn't had before. This was before my daughter was born where I was, like, so proud to watch, like, him make this food and like do things that like I know I taught him you know yeah like you know he's not burning the bone marrow but he's burning a piece of chocolate for the dessert over the top of it you know what I mean so there's like because like I know there's stuff I took from my chefs that I worked for you know I took those techniques I took those sure. those ideas and to watch him do it but become his own man and I, I feel like I'm saying it like in a, in a but you know you don't understand what I'm saying I totally understand and I was so proud and um I think that now is like what's you know my goal isn't that all my chefs leave and go open their own restaurants, but but you know um, I mean I like I I understand it because as I see you know we've been around for a while, so I see our formers go out into the world and do their own things and do things that I like. You know our whole thing here was forever is like we wanted to cook proper. You know, we wanted to teach proper, we wanted to teach proper technique and so many things that I, I felt like were lacking overall in the city. And, and so to see that kind of spread yeah. and it's like, man, it, I cannot go out without seeing people that have formerly worked for me, whether leaving on good terms or bad terms, um, out in the world and seeing some things that we taught them still in practice. Yeah. And that just makes me feel like... Makes you proud incredibly proud yeah. you know because like I'm not I'm not old you're not old you no, know what I'm, I'm not old but I'm at your 17 in this yeah same <laughs> same it, it's it, it's crazy because like uh, again when I was talking about the Cuban sandwiches today I was like fuck you know I've been cooking for 17 years I'm like that's a fucking long time one of my cooks that I brought with me Mike who you met um, actually you haven't met him yet but he's 23 years old I was like I started cooking when you were four Right. Or whatever, like, whatever that is. Same, Six, yeah. You know, that's that, crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, it's it's also nurturing, like, the growth of the community overall. Here, there, wherever you're at. It's like nurturing that growth is huge. Like, I always say that uh, the quote, I think it was Dave McMillan, is like, you have an opportunity to be like a Viking or a shepherd. 
I'm a solid both, for sure. I'm a solid Viking and I'm a solid Shepherd. I think I am as well. You know, um, and I struggle with the Viking a lot, uh, but I try Controlling to be. Controlling the Viking, you mean? Yes, <laughs> and I try to be the Shepherd the most because I think that's when you really can engage a person to like understand what they're going through to make them well, get I, to the next I level. I think the the worse of a Viking you are, the better Shepherd you become, because mm. you start to realize. But usually the Viking, and I'll just tell you from my experience, usually the Viking comes from, uh, like, learned traits. Yeah. Right? Like, things that may have happened to you that you, like, were okay that you then implement and then realize after a while because you become your own human. Yeah, you're like, oh, I shouldn't be mean as fuck. Right. Over, (laughs) like, the way chives are cut, even though I really care. Like, you know, like... Well, the thing is, you have to figure out how do I convey my need for these chives to be right without being a dickhead. But I think also a lot of that has to do with like when that ticket says Philip Franklin Lee instead of saying the former sous chef of X, Y, and Z, <laughs> when you become that name, yeah, I think that weight after a while, like when you have that perspective, it leans a lot on you like, oh, okay, like this is like me teaching people, not people taught me and then I carry that on it's like now this is me teaching people so like now that is going to carry on to the next generation so it's like how do I want other people to talk about the way I taught them you know and and listen I still have like a very solid viking in me so I but I also have like a person that sits down with people and it's like I want I want them to fucking win yeah and I want them to understand like why this is wrong yeah or right at the same time and I, I, I don't know if that totally happened like early in my career. And I just like for me, I want to change that. So when I see people move on, I'm like incredibly proud because I hope that those things carry on. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird. It's a very weird thing because we're not fucking that old. No. But we're also the elders in our community. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I know. It's just weird. That's weird. Because I mean, at 35. Yeah. And. 36 it's like it's not but we are we are the elders in our village yeah and it's it is bizarre because there's people who are going to listen to this being like (laughs) (laughs) like these young fucks like jesus christ get a grip like no i'm not going to get a grip because you're 36 and how many restaurants do you have uh four and two bars and by the end of the year we'll have eight and two bars yeah i mean we're both this age and and there are there are people that are there aren't I don't think ten years ago there was a lot of thirty five year olds with five six seven restaurants. I also think that at, at ten years ago, I don't think chefs dive into the things that we dive into as much as we dive into. Which I mean is like the other side of being a chef, which yeah. is like the running of a restaurant, the structure of a restaurant, the structure of a concept. I mean, you know, we've talked about this at length. It's like how things work. It's the whole, like, it's the wheel. Yeah. Like, I don't know if chefs 10 years ago, 20 years ago, were quite talking about it the way we talk about it now. Well, no, it was like, I mean, I remember being a young cook in in Los Angeles in uh, 15 plus years ago. Uh, well, I guess I was cooking 12 plus years ago as like a cook cook. And um, I remember back then, uh, if you were cooking at a decent restaurant, on your nights off, your chef would call his buddy, and you'd you'd go to that other restaurant. You'd get hooked up, 
And it was always like either you would eat for free or it would be like you'd go to a restaurant, do a tasting menu, they charge you like $25. Right. Right. And that was the era of nobody owning their own restaurants. True. And then chefs started to own their own restaurants in LA. And I started to see how quickly we stopped giving, we stopped comping young cooks. Yep. And so um, young cooks could not afford to eat nice food. And I had this amazing opportunity because I took advantage of it fully. Two days a week on my two days off, I was dining somewhere nice and I was meeting someone and, hey, you know, can I, can you help me get in there? Like I was trying, I was eating everything. And, um, and most of the restaurants would be like $25, $50, right? To go to like a fucking, you know, Michelin star restaurant because my chef called their chef. So once I started to realize that like my cooks couldn't go anywhere, um, and I would call like, you know, like, oh, I started this thing. Um, have I told you about this? The Backhouse Appreciation? No. So I started this thing called Backhouse Appreciation Month back in 2000, I want to say 14, maybe 15. For the entire month of February uh, at all of my restaurants, if you showed up with a pay stub that, that proved that you worked in the back of house, you ate for free. That's incredible. And the idea was um, you didn't get to take your girl out for Valentine's Day because you worked. Right. So for the rest of that month, you bring her to my spot and I got you. That's good. I mean, it's February, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and I did it for several years. Um, I haven't the last couple We haven't been fucking really okay. able to. Um, I've actually also upgraded it. It's now – I tried to get other restaurants to do it and I could not get a single restaurant to participate. And I, so then I tried to, because I wanted to be a thing, like I wanted to make it like worldwide, like in February, let's like, you know, chef appreciation, like, I don't know, like go. I, I support this. Don't even say it. Like I'm super I have not, I have not, I have not sold, tried to sell you on it. So if you're down for next February, we'll uh, do I'm, it. I'm super down. Um, so I changed it from back house appreciation month to back house exchange program. And now it's 12 months out of the year. It's every day. And the way that it works now is you don't just show up with a, with a pay stub your chef reaches out you go to your chef and you say hey i want to eat at this restaurant your chef reaches out to us and says hey i want to send my boy in full comp and i wanted to create this program and i wanted to make it international where it's like you know one of my guys is going to come to miami i hit you up yo this 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 young cook he's got you like he's going to be something one day i want him to check out your spot you you know one of your guys is going to Nashville. You send him there. He, you know like it's just like it's it becomes that's this. Much, that's much more like intense than like what we do. I mean, I just send my people to like our place, like the places that we love, and I'll always take care of it. Yeah, but it's it's just you know like the the culture. I think it also depends on the community, right? Yeah. Like I feel like the Miami community is very tight. So I saw that. I saw that and I was jealous of it. Yeah, it's it's incredibly fulfilling, I would say, because for me coming up here in the last 17 years, it was a lot of like not that early in my career. And it's like as I've grown through a position of like just kind of being who we are, like the community supports each other and they Everyone wants everyone to win. Yeah. You know, it's like yesterday you ate at Itame and I was like, man, I fuck like, yeah, 
you, where should I go eat? I got you. I just, I want I, like, you. I want sushi. Where should I go? You sent me to Peruvian restaurant. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's my favorite sushi place. So it was great. I mean, I, we barely ate sushi, but yeah, I believe it, that. <laughs> I believe that. I like, he was like, all right, dessert. I'm like, can we have sushi now? Yeah. You gave me, you gave me one piece of sushi. Like I'm at the fucking cat. Like, let's go. He's, I mean, he's the first person to say that he leans more to the Peruvian side than to the Japanese side. Oh, dude, he crushed the Peruvian. I told him I, I, I spent a lot of time in Peru. Um, I lived there for several months when I was like 18. Um, my wife and I, we, we try to go as often as we can. We haven't been I've in a couple years. I've actually never been. Dude, let's go. <laughs> Just, I've, I've been trying to get Val and Nando to go for like yeah, go, three years. I mean, I would love to be on that trip too, but yeah. that that's who you should go with. Mm-hmm. Um but Peruvian food might – like as a cuisine, as a whole, probably my favorite cuisine. I mean it's so intricate and so like – It's just fucking delicious. Exactly. It's just so fucking delicious. It, it just – however you paint the picture, it's just like every dish on top of every dish is just fucking delicious. Yeah. And I love that. They're all about acid and they're all about textures. Yep. For sure. And well, going back to like the community thing, it's like those are the people that I support like – Yeah. Go there. And I know for them, it's like equal, like send people here and then send people to Zitsum and send people like, just send people to our people that aren't like necessarily the ones that maybe media talks about. Yeah. But send them to the places that I feel like matter for the community. Yeah. Right. And I don't know, you've had some pretty good meals the last few days. Phenomenal meals. And it's, it's funny because I, you know. I don't know why Miami has like a reputation for not having fantastic food. I'm hoping that that changes. I ate here this last week and I've had nothing but fantastic meals. I love to hear that. Um, so I don't get it. I don't know if it's a new, maybe, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just going to the right restaurants. Well, I mean, you are for sure. But I also think that it's been like a, a struggle and a journey of like decades. Yeah. You know, because it's like going from a place that didn't really have an identity maybe 40 years ago to like a place that... There was five or six pillars of identity and then three or four pillars of identity and then to where we are today. It was people that really set the way for us. And then I think a lot of the younger community just kind of like ran with it. Yeah. I mean, look, I we ate at Nave. I think that was our first meal in town. It was phenomenal. I loved it. It was that. really fucking good. Uh, my guys were very impressed. Great. Um and I love take I love I love getting to a new city like with my chefs, and like taking them out the first couple nights and just like seeing like like asking them how they feel about the food and what it, like what are their thoughts and it's cute because they always try to be like well maybe this and I'm like you know they they didn't have anything to say at Nave except this is fucking good they actually that. haven't had anything to say this whole fucking trip I love so that too we did uh, we did Nave we did um, uh, we went to uh, Santorini uh, by Giorgio. <laughs> What a scene. Giorgio. Dude, that fucking dude is awesome. Man, he is a he, he is, is a scene. He is awesome. The restaurant, I can't remember the last time I dined next to a pool where people were swimming. Um you don't have a lot of that in Miami. <laughs> um but the, the food was fantastic. Probably the best fried calamari I ever had. Ooh, look at that. Um what else? The uh we got like a Three fucking we got a, a fucking giant branzino, which was cooked perfectly. Lots of lemon, lots of salt. Um, we got these big ass prawns. A bowl. What did, what did uh, Giorgio name you? Filopolos. <laughs> was that what? He, yeah. 
he was just, they, just I, saw, I saw the text Philippos or something like that. that. Was so good. He's such a scene, that guy. <laughs> um, that was great. Um, we went to Itamay, uh, Itamay, Itamay, Itamay last night. Um, that was fantastic. That was very, very good. Uh, I think uh, to me it was the only miss on the guide. But yeah, I. Th- in my experience with with starred restaurants, I feel like it's too casual. Sure. Listen, I understand. I understand. Because all I also feel like he does hit the bullseye for a bib. Like it's a restaurant that you can go and get in. Like it's not necessarily app entree, whatever. But like you can go and have dinner for like what's what is bib these days? Forty five. Forty nine and under. Forty nine. You could go eat there for forty nine bucks. Yeah, I mean, you would leave hungry, but yeah. You, I mean, that's. I, I had the entire menu last night, and I was like, "Can I eat more, please?" And they're like, "We're out of food." You're a savage. That's that's <laughs> savagery. Because when I eat there and I have like three or four things, I'm like, "I'm good." Oh, dude, I, we had. Granted, we there was four of us, you know, sharing, but um, that was fantastic. Um, we went to Los Felix uh, tonight. That was really, really good as well. Great to hear. Um, where else did we eat on this trip? Uh, you hit a chugs twice. Hit a chugs twice. <laughs> <laughs> Only tried one thing on the menu. But... <laughs> That's good. That's fine with me. Uh, uh, no, you had the BK pie. I did have the BK pie. That was surprisingly good. Well, I, I mean, which for a person that doesn't eat dessert, you went in. You That's why I went in three times. That's why I'm surprised because I expected to to take a bite out of respect, and I expected to think it was good. I didn't expect it to be bad. I expected it to be good, but I don't want to eat it. I didn't eat, I, I like, honestly, I'm not, I'm, I actually I, thought it was really fucking, like, I actually I ate more bites of it. I know, it's so fucking good. It's, like, very um, addicting good. Yeah. Because, I, again, I was going to have a bite and be like, all right, I'm good. But then I went in, like, four it's more good. times. You got, the te- you got the texture of the fucking, I mean, it's great. And then I didn't eat out, but we stopped by Su- Stubborn Seed. I ate there last time I was in town. Had a fantastic meal there, of course. Cool. Um, got to say hi to Jeremy. Um but yeah, all of the f- everything we've been eating here has been top notch, like good. really fucking good. Good, and I I really do feel like that is a change. Yeah, I mean, again, I did go to, I ate at a one star restaurant, Los Felix. I ate at the the sister restaurant to a bib and a star. Yeah, I ate at a restaurant that got a bib that you think should have got a star. Right. So I kind of you know I, I ate stubborn seed which got a star. So I kind of have. Maybe been eating at the ones that you know are supposed to be really good. Well, but, but I, I think that Santorini wasn't up for a fucking star. I love that. No, <laughs> no, they weren't that's, that's for sure. But I, I do think that that is what the guide is all about. Yeah, I, I, I do believe. Oh man, it's been an interesting two weeks since that's happened, and it's uh, only been two fucking weeks. Yeah, man, it's only been two weeks. Actually, two two weeks tomorrow. The ninth. It was the ninth, right? Yeah. So tomorrow would be two weeks. Jesus. So like, feels I like mean, it's been fucking six months. Been in like three states since then. Yeah, for you, I'm just exhausted from like life. But I feel because I've gotten a lot of, I won't say like negative negatives about the guide. Um, you have negatives, or people have had negative things to say about the guide. Just like people that don't quite understand. They're like, why didn't this spot get a guy? Not really that. More like, why does this really matter? 
Uh, listen, I understand. Look, you I don't give a fuck about the Academy Awards, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. I mean, you, you don't need to shrug <laughs> your shoulders at me. Like, I understand. What I really think it means for us as a city is, like, forever, 17 years, me cooking here, having opportunities to leave, turning them down, not leaving. It puts us into a conversation that's worldwide when it comes to great food. It also does something that you'll start to see now. And maybe you had it before, but... I watched it. I watched LA. I cooked in LA when we had the stars. And I cooked in LA when, we, when they took the stars away. And over the years after there were no more stars, um, cooks stopped caring in the same way. For sure. And then I went to Chicago where there was stars. And cooks cared like I remember them caring back when there were stars in LA. Because it went from, I got to work at a starred restaurant to like really if I want to be the best I got I have to work at one of these restaurants and and the, the star meant like you know it kind of meant they could pay you less and you'd work harder and all those but it didn't matter cuz you were you were getting so much honestly you were getting more out of them than they were getting out of you you were getting an education correct yeah from objectively I guess it's subjective but objective we've agreed it's objectively they're the best because they had been the Michelin guide said they were the best so you went you found the best teachers to get that education. Then they did away with the idea of education at all. Now it's like now, not now, but back the after a couple of years after that, it was like, where do you want to work? Who's who pays more? Right. And that's where the cook like cooks went from I need to work for stars to I need to work for restaurants to pay me more because what's the difference between working here and here? They're the same. This yeah. one just pays more. I, I, I really believe Oh man. I have so many like very intense emotions about this, but so in my brain, and I, I think factually the way that this all worked out for us, and I think that's why, I mean, you saw it, I mean, this is a week into knowing each other, why my emotions and my anxiety was so high was because post-COVID, during COVID, all I told them here was like, we have a thing it's a very good thing, but we can make this thing much, much better, mm -hmm. right? Maybe we use this as a standard. Maybe this standard never becomes actualized. Yeah. Maybe the stars never come. And they can never come. And it's okay. But understanding, like, this is what you strive for. And this is what, like, the standard of service and the standard of excellence that you should want to be, which is one of the best restaurants in the world. This is what you should work towards. Mm -hmm. Not because we're working like just for that thing, but that's because who you want to be, yeah. right? So then... The thing is, it's like a North Star because you want to be the best, but how, how do you know what best is? What actualizes because, that? Yeah, because are you the best because you're sold out every night? Or are you the best because you at, because you were like... Yeah, Komo Komodo like, is also sold out every night. And they're definitely not I don't the know who that is, but I, I, I get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> you'll understand. But... You know, and when I'm when I'm talking to my my chefs and we're sitting in my office about this, they're just kind of like, "Man, this guy is kind of fucking nuts." And I'm like, "That's cool." So they didn't. Well, they probably didn't come up when it mattered, right? Well, and I remember like coming up as a young cook. It's like I always wanted to work at these places, but I never wanted to leave my city. Yeah. Right. So then, fast forward, me and my chef here. We're on a plane to California to do a seminar at the CIA. Mm -hmm. And somehow I had, uh, I got um, 
internet service <laughs> on a plane. And I got somebody sent me uh, a text of the guide announcing that they were going to announce they were going to grade Miami. And instantly I just fucking went, okay. So now it's real. Yeah. Now the things that we've worked for and like during COVID, we did these two day tasting menus and we sold out both times. We did it four months in a row. Working everyone to that point and saying like, this is who we are and this is what we want to be. Now it's become actual. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that we've talked about and that we worked for now could actually be a reality. So I think that's what fed into like my very intense emotions and my very intense anxiety because like when they finally, when we finally won a star, it was like, well, fuck everything we've been talking about for two and a half years. It's like a real thing now. Yeah. And it was like, uh, and I think all it really did was vindicate the city as like, there is really good food here. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think that the fact that you guys as a city got as many stars as you did, because there's, there are, it's not unheard of that the guide comes to a new city or state or country or whatever and doesn't have any stars. Tampa. Tampa got zero. Yeah. Orlando got four. Miami got 11. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like they, I can't remember who it was. It was maybe, it wasn't Scandinavia. There was, there was somewhere in Europe where the guide, like the first three years there was a guide, there was no stars. Tough. Well, I mean, you have to remember, stars make up like 3% of the guide. The guide is the best hotels. The guide is, is just great restaurants. Stars are just the, 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 the creme de la creme of the great restaurants. So, right. you know, there's the guide is this fucking thick. And there's only like, your guide's this thick and you have 11 restaurants right. that have a star. You know what I mean? Right. So you don't need stars to be for the guy to tell you where to go. But the fact that you guys had that many is like, whoa, that's a city not to be fucked with. Which is what I love. Yeah. And because like year over year, we kind of get it's, like... It's Miami versus the world, right? That's what I... Oh, Miami <laughs> against the world, baby. That is, that is my saying for sure. I mean, and I really truly believe that. And it, it's always because... And it's not... I am a constant competitor, but like... It's more of a thing for people to understand, like, people will doubt us. Yeah. But now, maybe not so much. And that's okay. Well, now they can't. And I, fe- I found that <clears throat> in my own experience. Um, any, like, shit-talking stops. Oh. Because... Or starts. It depends. <laughs> it depends who you are. Well, I mean, there's there, not even shit-talking, just haters, right? And, mm. and haters come and go also, but, like, people who, like wanted to believe that you weren't good at what you did. And then the guide says, no, no, they're, they're, they're good at what they do. And now to think we aren't actually good is to say the guide isn't, doesn't know what they're doing. Right. And usually the person who cares enough to actually say that you're not good at what you do is somebody who follows the guide. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like it was a, a moment of like vindicating the city of like a lot of hard work and a lot of effort by a lot of people. And I think that's what makes me the most proud. And like, I'm just, I am full with joy for overall bibs, stars, recommendations, the whole thing. It's like, we're all there now. Yeah. And I, and I will tell you, that was a good friend of mine that told me this. He's like, you know, on the 10th of June, 
everyone was like a little bit tighter. Maybe food was like a little bit better everywhere. And to me, that matters the most yeah. because we now have set a tone. So I guess for me, you coming from elsewhere, how do you feel entering this new, I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole new world, not to quote Aladdin, but, uh, it's, I already quoted Bambi, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a, it's a whole new world as into like what, what your expectations are for yourself and for like the city as a whole. I mean, I love the fact originally I, you know, the, I was hoping to get into Miami before the guide came out in hopes to be a part of it, but I actually feel I actually feel better about coming in afterwards. I actually feel like I don't know how to explain, but like I almost would have felt like would it have been right for me to come in and have been one of those 11? You guys have been working so goddamn hard for so long. You know what I mean? Right. I, sh- I like and and this is this sounds pompous but like I show up and just get a star. Now, I don't think that's how that works. I'm going to work really fucking hard and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say my prayers at night and I'm going to do everything I can and I'm going to believe in what we do and I'm going to hope that whatever inspector comes in shares our passion for what we do and that we're recognized for that next year. But I almost feel like, you know, bunch of restaurants come in to get into Miami in time to get in the star the guide and now you have 13 stars in Miami but half of them are fucking then did Miami get did Miami get all those right right so I kind of feel like really excited and proud to join your guys's club and hopefully be accepted and hopefully you know help you know make the club bigger right um does, does that make sense what I'm what I'm 100% kind of, I mean you saw and again, because we became fast friends, like you saw how tight knit the community was and like oh, yeah. how much I wasn't the only one with high anxiety. <laughs> That's for sure. Like I was not the only one. So, I mean, you saw you were the like, only one sitting there listening to your headphones with your head. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if I shared this, but I was listening to Sade by myself in the back corner. <laughs> I was like, what do you listen to over there? And yeah, <laughs> no, I was listening to Sade um, to like calm my nerves. But, you know, like, um, I think it was like a very important moment for the community too. And I think the fact that there was, uh, there was only, there was a couple of transplants there and some very well deserving for me. Anyone else? Maybe another Last water, call. please. Water. Yeah. Last call. Okay. I'll Got take it. a beer. A beer then. <laughs> Got it. If as long as we're last calling it. Um, I don't know, like the emotion, the intensity, like, it really was all attached to like being vindicated for a lot of work, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, and I love even more so the opportunity to add people to the community like yourself. And I do think like people like Simon at code, like I think code has done like a really good job with what they've done all being like, albeit a transplant. Um, they've done very solid work and they do mm-hmm. good work and I, I, it's hard to deny that, Yeah, you know? <clears throat> so I don't know I love it I, I, I really do feel like this is like a whole new age of like dining in the city and and I can't I cannot wait to see what's next I just felt so like honored and blessed to be like invited to the gala and to be there and to like to meet. I was actually so happy you were there <laughs> I was like I just met this guy a week ago and I don't have any fucking friends here but you and Ryan like I am fucking 
I want to drive. Well, I mean, and all your fucking friends were there. Well, uh, yeah, other people I see all the time, but we yeah. talk. We have talked about this, like, just endlessly. Like, really, me and those a lot of the people in that circle have talked about this shit endlessly. Several drinks, like, very late at night, talking about like, what does this mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to the city? So, other perspectives like yourself and Ryan. Um, were incredibly helpful for me, but it also like opens my mind to like like what the fuck is next, man? Like we can really we can do so much now. Yeah, like opening a omakase place and a B and B. Dude, I fucking love it. And um, I was uh, well, actually, I don't, I won't say it on here because I don't know if it's even legal what we want to do. But um, we can edit shit out. It's fine. Can you? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I took. Andrew today I showed him the space and I was like so you come in here right so I, I put a doorbell up today and I'm putting a plaque that says like you know sushi by scratch restaurants omakase by appointment only ring for service that's not the illegal part <laughs> then you go in we love illegal parts here I don't think it's illegal but I don't know the fucking rules here in Miami so <clears throat> it's okay we do it's fine you'll be fine you go so you go into the front room the sitting room and you have your welcome cocktail as, as you know then you go into the, the main dining area. Now, after dinner, we're going to invite you if you'd like to go upstairs. Oh, I heard about this. Oh, he told you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so upstairs will be a small little like four-seat Japanese whiskey bar. Cool. And we will only serve Japanese whiskey neat or on a rock. Nothing and illegal about that. Okay, cool. Nothing illegal then about that. And fucking leave it in. Yeah. All right, everybody. You heard it here first. We're <laughs> no. putting a Japanese whiskey bar upstairs. Yeah, no, absolutely nothing illegal about that. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's dope. Yeah. You know, and what I love about that the most, other than it's going to be a very good experience, is like the, um, wow, you are just record time, Case. Thank you. Is really utilizing one of the most historic properties in all of Miami. Yeah. And that's like, that's incredibly fucking Thank dope. Thank you so much. <sighs> Cheers. Oh man! Hey, thanks for having me on. This is fun. Yeah, I know it's not quite Joe Rogan, but it's all right. <laughs> the setup's a little nicer. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> the setup is nicer here. Um, all right, cool. So, I guess you're you're ready to go, huh? July, July one. Yeah, I mean we're. Um, it's so funny because like, like we talked about this. Um, I don't I, like you're like we're talking about I'm like I don't have restaurants I have little rooms where we like cook they're like, fucking restaurants they're not restaurants so I don't get have, out there's of here. no host there's no busser no, there's but, no runner uh, there's, it's, it's still people are we're cooking providing a service yeah absolutely but I don't even look at it as providing a service I um I kind of had this idea a long time ago that like our service style is um I call it workshop style service so a lot of restaurants like restaurants are what can I do for you? What can I get for you? And what we want to do is say, I'm really excited to share this with you. Which I love. And so it's, it's more about just sharing what we're excited about with you, um, which restaurants are also able to do. But like, I almost feel like, what, like I think where I, where I started with this was like, like you were in, you, you saw the space yesterday. If you went in there right now, you'd be like, how did you make how how is this a restaurant or how is this a I guess it's a fucking restaurant but how is this like a fucking dining room like how how can you do this in fucking 
And it all comes as like, well, this isn't the fastest we've transformed a room. Mm. Yeah, four days is faster. Yeah, well, we have, um, I mean, we we have, two, so we have two sushi bars next door to each other in Encino, in the original location. The original one was um, sold out just always. And so next door was my cocktail bar. And I didn't really have a passion for it, and it really wasn't doing that much. And um, so I, I shut it down, and we used the kitchen for, like, uh, uh, prep and stuff like that. And I just had no desire. I, I had a friend who I like opened it with who was like a awesome mixologist. And then he went on to do something else. And I was like, I have no desire to run a mixology bar. As they do mixologists daily. <laughs> and so anyways, uh, we have a, you know, a lot of celebrities who come in and stuff. And so one of our, you know, regular celebrities was like, you know, they like to call up three at three o'clock on Friday and be like, Hey, can I get the whole room tonight? I'm like, no, dude, I told like, we saw it like two months in advance. Like, I, we can't get you in tonight. But this is one of the the, the 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 few that we have where it's like, all right, every, like manager, everybody, okay, how are we going to do this tonight? And so I was like, why don't we like just build a sushi? Well, we got three hours. We'll build a sushi bar in the back of this cocktail lounge and we'll hang curtains and we'll, we'll fucking do it. And so we did it. He loved it. And um, all of his family and friends loved it. And then the next morning, I'm sitting there, and I was like, "We should." No, this was this was this was Tuesday morning. Two, no, Wednesday morning because we're closed on we were closed on Mondays and Tuesdays back then. Wednesday morning, I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, "Guys," and I call over my director of ops, my GM, everybody. We're sitting there. And I'm like, "We're gonna make this." we're going to make this a second sushi bar. And everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. What, like, fantastic. Like, what, when? And I was like, Friday. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, what? And I was like, I'm not kidding. And they're like, we know you're not kidding. We can't, we can't make this a restaurant by Friday. And, and to be clear, like, this would have been like, we we're just going to release, it's not we were going to make a new restaurant. It was people were going to make reservations and not know they were going to go into a new room. So it couldn't be a shitty Right. Could, we served on this that night. We couldn't do a shitty thing because people were used to one room. We had to have a room as good by Friday. And I was like, we're going to do it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, Gabe, open the books. He's like, I'm like, open the books right now for Friday. He's like, but – and I was like, open them. He's like, but what if we're not ready? I'm like, if you open them, we will be. Uh, yeah, right. You have no choice at that point, right? We fucking opened the books and we were ready by Friday. Yeah. I mean, when you give people like a, a timeline, they usually work pretty hard for that timeline. Well, you know this. You can fucking do your prep list in nine hours. You can do it in fucking two and a half hours. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's all about how fast and how hard you work. It, yeah. It's, it's, that's, I've always found that. It, I, I worked for a chef a long time ago who really did something that, I, that changed my entire perspective. And that was... I was always like, you know, he was like, you've been here for nine hours. Let's go. And I was a sous chef. He's like, let's go over what you've done today. Because he'd always break my balls. I'm like, I've been here all day. I've been working so hard. He's like, you've been here all day and you have been working hard. But what have you actually done? You've been here for eight hours. Let me see your list. Have you done eight hours worth oh, of work? The list. Have you done eight hours worth of work? And we broke it down and being true with myself, I've probably done two hours worth of 
I've done two hours worth of productive work in eight hours. And he's like, you could have come here two hours ago. Oh, what a deep burn. And I was pissed. And But then, you know, you look back and you're like, you're right. Right. And so it's all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out how do I act as efficiently as possible. I will tell you that I think I'm incredibly excited to see how this goes. Me too. It's going to be tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's cool. I think that's a part of the... Uh, listen, omakase is like kind of the new... It's like the new phrase. I And I, I hate it, right? Because there's people that do it incredibly well, and there's people that don't. And uh, I'm excited that, to see like someone do it incredibly well. That deserves to get recognition as a part to like the people that are getting recognition that don't do it super well. So I'm excited to see how this goes, especially in that place, like where it's at and how beautiful that. I like, think it's going to be good. I, th- I mean, look, we, I feel really, I feel really good about what we're doing. I feel good about the product. I feel good about the experience and it's in a fucking two, it's in a dope house. Yeah. Like, house it's, like, dope. it's cool. It's yeah. really cool. The house is super dope, but it, it needs to be. That kind of thing that we're talking about to go with that. Yeah. So it can, it fits and that it like the whole experience is like all encompassing. Like, uh, I mean, if I can get fit in, I can't wait to go. <laughs> I'll put an 11th chair like in the backyard. You know what I mean? Like- you can just fit me in the back with like the guys here. Like we'll go after service. That would be great. Um, all right. I think it's time for wind downs. Yeah. If you, you're, you're the boss. You Am ready, I the you, boss? You ready for the wind down? Yeah, I think it's time. All right, so this is... Uh, actually, you know, before we do the wind down... Do I, I, do I need to know what the wind down is? Oh, yeah, so, we do things. The so, wind down is like a whole thing. Yeah, okay. so, so actually, while I'm setting this up, I'll tell you what it is so maybe you want to think about it. We we do parting recommendations, so everybody will uh, recommend a thing to the... It could be literally anything as long as it's not yours. So something could be food, TV, movie, book, uh, travel destination, I whatever. can't wait for my parting recommendations. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, but I was, uh, as you guys were talking, I was DMing with um, uh, with our friend Brenda over at the Wet Palette. The Wet Palette. Does she have a reservation yet? She does, actually. Oh, I'm not shocked at all. Brenda <laughs> does have a reservation. Then I told her, hey, you know what? Maybe I can shoehorn in some questions here that you can use on your podcast. So she will do a review from what she told me. She'll eat there in July and do some kind of a review on her podcast in August. Yeah. So I told her, maybe I'll just shoehorn some questions from you. So when you do your August thing, you can use this audio. So this will be for us, and we'll let her borrow the audio. All right, cool. So these are this is what she sent me. Uh, with the crazy amount of omakase restaurants we now have in Miami, what makes this one special besides the Michelin star? Oof. Um, that's a too hard of a question for me to really answer because I have not eaten at all of them here. And so I can't really say what we do different. Sure. Um, Fair. You know, I, I, I want to imagine that they're all fantastic and they're all special in their, their specific ways. I mean, I do think we have some really fun idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, our restaurant, while being incredibly serious, is also seriously fun. And it's designed to be that way. I can um, attest to that, actually. There's a lot of, there's a lot of traditional sushi restaurants there's a lot of traditional restaurants in general where like usually like the, the, the nicer it is, the more expensive it is, the less you feel comfortable making a joke or being loud or, 
you know, not obnoxious, but like talking across the table or, you know, um, and so our restaurant is fun and it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Um, there also is, there's a lot of personality to it. And, um, I mean, I can't, I mean, we get the best fish that money can get you in, in, in the States. And I don't want to say that's what sets us apart from anyone else. Cause I have to imagine everyone else is also trying to get the best fish. Um, what does, what's special about our restaurant is that, um, we tell a story with the food as I'm sure everyone does. Um, but we tell a story. So, so I learned, um, uh, many years ago that, um, traditionally the, all, all the different omakase in, in, in Tokyo, what would really set yours aside from yours was that, um, you're both vying for the best fish. You're both making as good of rice as you can. And that at this at this level we're splitting hairs on who's better, right? But what would separate the two of yours, what would make yours special from yours, is that each of you would do your best to tell a story of your childhood and the neighborhood that you grew up with, with your food. And so what makes ours different is I don't think anyone else here in Miami grew up in in LA, you know, like I did. So like one of my favorite courses, the hamachi, that's painted yellow with sweet corn pudding. It's seasoned with margaritas you know, sourdough breadcrumbs and then our homemade soy sauce and freshly grated wasabi root is like, I grew up backyard, dad grilling corn on the cob, Nancy Silverton's La Brea Bakery sourdough, you know, and then of course, soy sauce and wasabi. So, you know, that's sort of what I think maybe makes ours special. Um, I don't know that special is even the right word. It just makes us yep. different. So the next I thing think, I think like just, I want to add to yeah, that. Sure. I mean, there's a level of engagement and Drama is like a bad word, but like I was engaged when when I ate there. I was engaged, and it's hard to engage me. You know, <laughs> it is. It's hard to engage me. It, it's hard to get me like very into something, but I was engaged, and I was like I, I had a good time. And I think a lot of times with dining, what sometimes lacks is just like having a good time with the experience. Right. So I would second that. Uh, what makes this is how she wrote it I'll maybe adjust it. what makes the Montecito worthy the Montecito location worthy of a star over the other locations maybe a fairer question is how might you explain that one has a star and the other doesn't so I actually found out why one has a star and the other doesn't Austin doesn't have Michelin stars so we couldn't get one there sure. um, although I think we would have um, and I think we would now with sushi by scratch restaurants there. Um, I was actually very surprised uh, when Montecito got a star and LA didn't. Montecito was a brand new restaurant. LA was the flagship, had been around for years. I was also very surprised when Pasta Bar got a star um, and Scratch Bar didn't. Scratch Bar was the flagship and Pasta Bar was six months old. Right. Um, it all has to do with the night the inspector comes in. For sure. um, nights. nights. Or nights. Right. Now, I think in, in, in California, they did California. They were responsible for every restaurant. So I don't know how many times they were able to eat, come into each restaurant. Right. Um, especially a restaurant that didn't get a star. Um, so I was made aware of roughly when they came in to the LA location. Hey! I'm Nick, I'm here interrupting this podcast to explain what happens next. So 
when we started to record this episode, I made it known that we had enough battery power to record for roughly two hours uh, in very typical fashion for us. We went beyond that time, so if you saw Mike make a face just now, that's because he was hearing the batteries dying on our uh, video cameras. From here on out, there will not be uh, visuals for this podcast. You can hear it, uh, but that's, that's the reason why you're losing the camera stuff. So we'll go right back to the podcast now. That's my bad. Uh, we just didn't have the uh, power adapter, so we were running on just battery power. Um, the podcast continues just without the visuals of video. My apologies to those of you who uh, are really into watching faces and stuff. We usually try to make sure that that's a thing, but in this case, uh, fucked up. So uh, enjoy what's left of this episode with Philip Franklin Lee. I was made aware of roughly when they came in to the LA location and I cross-referenced back and there was like a six-week period because they wouldn't tell me when they came but they kind of had like a you know like a six-week period maybe of when they came and I looked back at what was going on during that time and we weren't we weren't there there was there was some personal stuff not with me necessarily but personnel stuff in the company mm. um we lost one of our you know really important you know people to the company and um uh yeah we just we weren't operating at the level that we needed to have been and it's you know it's it actually made me feel really good because i was like it's not like you came in today when i know we like if you, if you came in today and you said we didn't get it, I'd be like, fuck, we're not good enough. But you came in at a time that I know we weren't good enough. Right. Uh, next thing she put on here, there's uh, two more of these. How does he define new wave nigiri? How do I define new wave nigiri? And, I don't, and she put that in quotes. I don't know if that's because it's something you've this used. Intense. I fucking, this is intense. I love this. Um, yeah, what the fuck? I didn't know I was... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so good. Um... That's a phrase that somebody used at some point. I okay. think it might still be on a website. I'll try. Um, sure. I mean, new wave is a. I. I mean, what's the definition of new wave? Just like a new, new style of doing it, right? Right. Um, you know, people look at what we do, and at first glance, it's easy to pass it off as not being traditional, um, but in the way that I just sort of explained, like the tradition of sort of telling the, like your story, I felt like the most traditional thing I could do was to tell my story, not to tell someone else's story. That's the most respect I could pay to tradition. Sure. But there's definitely something new wave about smearing corn and putting sourdough on top of hamachi. Fair. Last one before we go into our parting recommendations uh, and apologies to the people on uh, on the YouTube machine like Devin Braddock. Our cameras are out of battery, so you're just listening to our voices now, no matter where you are. Uh, who will have the omakase when, uh, when you're not there? How will it work? So, I mean, tonight, for example, we're up and running in six locations, you know. Yeah. Um, this will be location seven. Um, so it's not, I realized back in 2000, 
2011, when I got my first executive chef job, I would cook everything. And I was off one day a week. And guests started to call the restaurant to find out when my day off was because they didn't want to be there when I wasn't cooking. And that's when I realized it's time to stop cooking. And I went on the other side of the pass. And I started making sure that it wasn't about me. It was about the team. And I was a ball hog back then. And I had to become a coach. And that was... 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. Um, and so I've purposefully not made it about me. I love being, you know, I love being there. I love making you know, sushi. Um, but the restaurant is not designed around me. So what we do with every location when we open a new one, it starts off with our greatest hits menu. And that's what we're going to be bringing to Miami. It's tried and true. I think you will enjoy it. After we get that down then the local chef when he or she is ready will have the opportunity to start putting dishes on the menu now every restaurant all of our our sushi by scratch restaurants locations have six signature dishes and those six are on every menu the other 10 is a little bit of a collaboration between myself and the local chef and that chef is tasked with figuring out what their story is so it's not like when I'm not there, you have someone regurgitating my food. It's when I'm not there, you have somebody stepping into the role of telling a story. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, do you want to step in with something? No, I'm just saying, like, I had the greatest hits menu. It's, it's a very good time. Yep. You know, I mean, and it's also, like, even more so the conversation of, like, being a coach, it's incredibly necessary. And I think that <clears throat> so often – People want to be a ball hog, right? But I think... Also, when you're young and dumb, you just... You don't know better. I think food suffers at that point. It too, does. Because, like, people need to feel an essence of, like, ownership and leadership within their own kitchen so that they can feel like they can take the next step. Mm -hmm. So... All right. So, uh, with that, I think we can move into our parting we can move into our parting recommendations mike do you want to go first so we can give yeah no i mean i have i have a good one so i took um you're saying parting parting yeah, like yeah, we're, yeah. we're we're out of here okay got it right? got it um i get i feel like this is going to be an unpopular opinion <laughs> and that's totally okay hooters, apologies to everyone who comes here for popular opinions hooters wings are fucking delicious and I have to say that the Hooters wing, to me, is a top three wing, and I I will stand by that a hundred percent. I took you're, my you're first. You're saying top three among chains, top three in Miami, top, top three for me of your life. Yeah, probably. I I mean, I took a full day off this past week and which, just went to Hooters. I didn't. I was there all day. I, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't Breakfast, just. Lunch, and dinner, baby. I, I wasn't just there, but I had I had the Hooters wings and. They were fucking incredible, and I loved every single fucking wing that I ate. And I think that's unpopular. Are you sure I, it wasn't the ambiance? It was not the ambiance. <laughs> it was not. It was. It, they were incredibly solid, and I fucking love them. I can't remember. I mean, it's been a long time since I've been to Hooters. So <laughs> I, mean, I yeah. get it. Me too. Like it was. It, it's been a long time since I was there too. But 
I remember their wings being good. I don't. Re- I don't remember. It's just it being like accurate. you know, people poo poo all the time breaded wings, and they're fucking delicious. I don't know how else to paint that picture for people. It's a little bit like Tokyo Omakase, right? At some point, you're just splitting hairs. Right, over, between, and really, and the Hooters is telling you a story. Yeah, I mean, Hooters <laughs> is telling you quite the story it's about not, the, about their childhood. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not quite Twin Peaks, but it is it is a very yeah it's it's sub Twin Peaks and tilted kilt right yeah, but tilted kilt. And then my other one would be uh, I watched on that one day off because I didn't really leave my house very much. Uh, I watched the entire six season. Of Peaky Blinders, and it was fucking epic. Is that the new one? Yes. I'm 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 caught up to the new one. I haven't watched the new one yet. The new one, you know, I just like that show. It's like a seed planter. It's, it plants seeds to like moments, and the fucking ending. I was like, what? Like, fuck. The ending of season. I don't know. It was five or four. Literally, I was I was watching it. It was the second to last episode. I was watching it in my house at like 3 a.m. And I literally got on my bed and I was like jumping like, fuck yeah. Like, fuck that dude up. Like, it was fucking <laughs> great. So the ending of this one was just kind of like a, oh, fuck. Oh, I think I know what episode you're talking about. The When they trick him into the, in there in the Arthur bed. and the yeah, thing. The, oh, <laughs> man, so fucking good. So good. Like, I was like, this motherfucker's still alive? Holy shit. So... The end of the show. Well, don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but it was a moment that you're like, what? So I would say that for me, parting recommendation is that and that Hooters Wings and Piggy Blinders Season 6. I'm all about it. Very good. You want to give yours or you want a little more time to think about it? Go for it. I'll, I'll go last. So I'm going to recommend um, uh, two recent episodes of... Uh, Andrew Schultz's The Flagrant Podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's so funny about <laughs> Nothing, it? Nothing, just you. Go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, Matt Nicholas, he's so interesting. I was surprised by how interesting uh, I found Dave Portnoy to be. Oh, uh, yeah? It was, it was a, I think one of the, I think what was good about him also was like he, he goes in knowing that he's on a podcast with a, with a bunch of comics. Like I think a lot of people make the mistake of trying to be the, like trying to be funny also. And it was, it, from my perspective, also it was like a sort of deep-ish dive, a conversation not unlike this one about how he built his media company, which I thought was was pretty interesting. Um, and then also, uh, I, I actually almost sent it to you, Mike, um, the interview they did maybe like an episode or two before that with Jake Paul. Uh, no, sorry, Lo- Logan Paul. Logan oh, Paul, the, old, the older Paul. I would love to interview those guys. Uh, and, and actually, I, I came away from it like, He's he's kind of about as much of a dunce as you imagine, but like he's he was a very he's very self aware. Like he Logan. knows he Logan, the older one. Not I mean, Jake. I, don't, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah. but I, I I found him. I came away from it thinking he was just a little bit less ridiculous. Like, got it. Very self aware about like the act and what they're doing. I saw the um him do Andrew's um opening monologue kind of yeah. thing I thought he actually did a really did good a job super solid he, job he did his impression of Andrew doing yes. it and he did a good job yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to know how many times he rehearsed it I wonder how many takes it took but he's I mean he's a performer that, that's the thing yeah. I, he, he's self aware and he's deliberately he's a showman 
It's mm. not that he's just like a wild, stupid kid. He might also be that. But like he's very, he's aware. Like I'm putting on a show and like I'm trying to get attention and he's good at it. Like a, it, there's a very small percentage of the population that could have done that as well as he did that month. Yeah. No, it was really good. Yeah. All right. I got mine. Um, Severance. Have you seen the show? No. It's uh, where I don't know. Wherever uh, you stream, I'll fucking. get the I'll get the research Hulu or on. Amazon oh, it Prime. Hulu? It's Hulu. It's or Amazon Prime or oh. HBO Max. It's one of those ones. Not Netflix. It's one of the other ones. Nicholas Severance. Uh, is this Apple TV? Maybe Apple TV. Apple TV. Yeah. Oh, it is. Gotta, um, pay. gotta pay those guys. <laughs> it's worth it. Got it. Pay pay for this. Um, it is uh, Ben Stiller. Wrote and directed it. Oh, I love that. It is hilariously not a comedy at all. Mm. Um, I don't want to give any of it away except to say it's probably surprisingly the best show I've seen in as long as I can remember. Wow. Yeah, yes. I'm, lo- I'm looking at this cast. This is a solid cast here. Who's the, the cast? It's Fucking got uh, Adam Scott, Christopher Walken, John, John Turturro. Turturro. Christopher Walken? Yeah. yeah. I need more cowbell? <laughs> <laughs> so the so the concept of this show is it's called Severance, right? And so they work for this company who has developed some technology where they sever your mind. And what they do is so they work in this like top secret company, and they have like this top level uh, uh, clearance, and they have, you have to volunteer for it, and you actually they figure out some procedure that like when you go to work and you go to a certain like you get in the elevator you don't know who you were outside and then when you leave work you don't know who you were at work so you have you have no recollection so you so basically you become two completely different individuals and um it's it's unbelievably good yeah noted like yeah. this Sounds severance yeah alright and now finally the shameless plug portion tell everybody where they can find all your stuff websites addresses home phone numbers however you want to plug yourself um so uh Instagram at Philip Franklin Lee um website so if you go to scratchrestaurants.com it'll go to all of our concepts uh, if you're looking for all, any of our sushi concepts, it's sushibyscratchrestaurants.com or at sushibyscratchrestaurants. We also have uh, at Pasta Bar. I think it's at Pasta Bar LA, at Pasta Bar Austin. Um, but all that comes through Sushi by Scratch Restaurants. Or if you follow me, you'll see I post about everything and link to everything. Cool. All things. All the things we'll put uh, we'll put the all the things song in There's here. There's a song for that. Yeah, one of our <laughs> listeners has made three different songs. I'm pretty sure that's him doing the vocals too, which is oh, yeah. wild to me. Got it. Yeah, and it's just naming all of Mike's stuff. It's yep. um, anyway. All the things. I still gotta recommend all my shit. I mean, we've, yeah, we've done this eighty do times already. All the the things. All the the things. Arietta Nave, Skipper and the Taurus. Chugs and the Gibson, all the things. All the things. At this point, just all the things. Big in the Powell, Scoops and Laurel, Miami gets the world. All the things. All the things. Insert song. All the 
the things. All the things. All the the things. And then finally, uh, our shameless plugs. You can find Bangkok Podcast on all the social media things at Bangkok Podcast. Give us all of your money at day, uh, patreon.com slash mag. All of your money. Give us all the money. Um, you can um, also listen to the other things. There's Step Into the Sandbox and the Liberated Podcast are the two other uh, the two other things. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, maybe we'll see if it works out, that the Liberated Podcast will do uh, uh, an episode soon with, um, I'm going to fuck up his name now, the guy who just wrote the Ojuando Paya biography. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just, uh, I would have been there, but we were doing this. Uh, they just did a, a book presentation discussion thing, the thing that I mentioned last time mm-hmm. um, over at Books and Books. So, um so anyway, yeah, go go do and look that. out for at Dade Mag. Apparently, I'm attempting to write an op-ed, and we will see how that goes. Is, is that is, am I publishing that? Is that what? Yeah, that that, well, you will. Oh man, you will is, publish that. That's how this pitch process goes. Yes, <laughs> yes, you cool, will. great. Watch out for that then. Yeah, um, watch out for Mike's listicle. Um, it's not a listicle. No, I know, I know. Don't it's ever no, it's downgrade not. me to that. <laughs> Well, we'll see what the editing process looks like. I might edit it. Probably. I mean, the way Nick edits any shit that I write, it's pretty intense. So it may just be a paragraph. Who knows? We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, haiku. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you want to do a lightning round or? No, he's good for a lightning round. We'll do it. All right. So uh, give us a dollar. Yeah. If you're you're a Patreon person giving us all your money, you will hear the lightning round uh, with Philip Franklin Lee. Uh, You know who didn't have a lightning round with him? Joe Rogan. Uh, but for the but for the benefit of all the people who are not giving us their money, thank you, Philip, for for Spotify being one of them. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For the benefit of the Spotify people who are not listening after this, uh, thanks for joining us. And that's it, sort of. Thank you.